The Chicago Bears are beginning to put their finishing touches on assembling a coaching staff. And Nick and I will go through the ups and downs of everybody that they've brought in so far. Plus, a little bit of Senior Bowl review as I literally just got back from Mobile and I am hot and ready with takes on guys that I think the Bears might just be looking at. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Us. My name is Robert Schmitz. I'm your host, the editor-in-chief of Da Bears Blog, right here with my co-host, Nick Whalen of Football Guys. And Nick, all right, you tell me, right, do we have the three stooges on our hands in the coaching staff, or are we starting to look like the Avengers in the wide world of coaching or somewhere in between? I saw the news, for instance, of former Panthers offensive coordinator Thomas Brown now on the Chicago Bears staff as what, the pass game coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how are you feeling? Tell me, tell me your thoughts on the staff. I feel like you've gotten to sit with this longer than I have. Yeah, I um, because I mean, naturally, as a fan of a team, we tend to be optimistic, you know, and we like to look through the, you know, the all the positives of something. The only negative that I see right now is honestly, it's with Thomas Brown. Now, getting Thomas Brown, I thought was a very good get for Chicago. When you look at putting the staff together and you thought he could be the offensive coordinator and you get Waldron and you get a quarterback coach and you get your first choice of wide receiver coach. And then you pair in Thomas Brown and you sneak a a position in there for him. I thought was good. And I think that means also they didn't go cheap, which has kind of been the issue with Chicago in terms of paying staff. My only concern with Thomas Brown is the Carolina debacle the stink, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 you, you heard that there was coaches that were going around and talking to the owner and like trying to like, I don't know if it was blackmail or save their job or whatever it was like, right. that's just that negative vibe stuff that I don't want. Now, again, I am not saying again, we're recording this. I am not saying Thomas Brown was one of those people. I don't know that he wasn't though. So to me, that's my only concern is I don't know where he was in that mess, but when you look at his history, last offseason, he was one of the hot offensive coordinator candidates. Like people were mm-hmm. pumped to get him. And remember, Frank Reich was putting together like this superstar, you'd said Avengers type staff. <laughs> that kind of looks like what's happened with Chicago. The 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 one takeaway, and we can go through, I guess, each of the guys at some point, but the main takeaway from the offensive staff that we added, I mean, plus you could say DC, is it wasn't people's last choice to come to Chicago, which I think no, was some of the concern. It wasn't. Like, oh, we have this lame duck coach. It's like, dude, we got, we got a squad for a coaching staff. And finally, hopefully they can develop talent, Robert. Like, Gosh, I hope so. Better. Right. Yeah. And beyond that, Nick, I mean, it, this feels more like, all right, so high level takeaway, high, high, high level takeaway. It sure feels as if this Chicago opportunity seems like an attractive one because you look at guys like Thomas Brown. Thomas Brown's a former offensive coordinator. I completely understand that the Carolina debacle sure was a fiasco. I mean, I could if you need more synonyms for problem, like I could break out a thesaurus, right? But he's taking a devotion all the same, right? And in Chicago, he obviously thinks that he has a chance to get back into the offensive coordinator pool, which sounds a whole lot like Shane Waldron, who feels like he probably has a solid chance of getting back into the head coaching pool. It's nice to be at a destination that these coaches seem to believe in, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, well, all- it, 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 what, what do you think this, Robert? Like, like, wouldn't if and if we're just thinking this in the most positive way possible, right? So, you know, and again, we're not saying who's going to be quarterback, y'all. I love <laughs> that conversation, okay? But let's say Chicago makes the playoffs next year. And Waldron, who's already been named as a guy that could be head coach, gets right. a head coaching gig. Right. Don't you think the conversation for Thomas Brown's like, hey, man, do this. Waldron gets that job and you don't get a head coaching job. You slide right in as offensive coordinator. Man, like, that's got to be part Nick, of it, right? I hadn't even thought about that. I think that makes tons of sense. Almost that there's a built-in succession plan within the Bears offensive room. And then if you're not happy with Thomas Brown, if Matt Eberflus sits in on those meetings and he's like, I don't think he's good enough. Well, then you can go hire a different offensive coordinator. It's almost like having the option, right, yep. to succeed internally or to go fire a different mind. Now, I do think it's kind of funny, right, because the Bears are building a staff full of former offensive coordinators or like whether that's Shane, whether that's Thomas Brown, as well as I think there's at least one more on the on the group, but maybe I'm crazy. Maybe that's not true at all. So – Fact check me well, while well, I'm talking well, about it. It depends on how far back you go. Like, I mean, <laughs> you go back to, so the wide receivers coach, I think it's Chris Beatty. I think it's how uh-huh. you say his name. Um, you know, he's, he's the one hire that doesn't, there's not the Rams or the, or the Seahawks connection, which right. I feel like all the other ones are. Well, there's the, um, there's the Carolina connection, right? No, it's not. It's Maryland, isn't it? No. Yeah, so Maryland connection. It's DJ. But I mean, he was like, he just, it just I mean, struck me as they asked DJ which guy he wanted. Like, <laughs> call, I'm, I kind of wish I was kidding. This almost yeah. strikes me as they asked DJ Moore, "Hey, who's your guy?" And he was mm-hmm. like, "Chris Beatty's my guy." And they well, were like, and, "Okay, DJ." And the funny thing is, is like you like look at you know Pittsburgh and and the Chargers. I mean, like they've had some some receivers. You know, you see it coming together. But like you go back far enough in his tenure, he's been an OC in college. Okay. I mean, in that case, maybe that's where I'd heard that the Bears were bringing in multiple people with offensive coordinator experience. I'm going to pretend yes, right? But I just like the idea that it feels to me, Nick, you see some of these offensive staffs where it's very obvious that the OC is the grand poobah, right? And everybody else at least doesn't have enough of a voice or enough experience to really challenge the person in charge. I mean, not to look back and immediately criticize the Bears staff, right? But what was what were the Bears wide receivers and quarterbacks coaches really going to say to Luke Getze? In many cases, they hadn't done the job either. So it wasn't like they really knew. I'm sure it was collaborative. It's never not, right? But this feels almost like Shane, who's been around the block, is now bringing in somebody with very different experience from him, right? I mean, say what you will about Thomas Brown. Can I flip this thing on its head a little, Nick? What better experience? than a guy who's in an environment that flat out failed. They didn't think it was going to fail. You you have to think mm-hmm. so, right? Coaches are notoriously positive. Coaches are the guys that look at that. Well, okay, so if the Giants lose and the Titans win and the Cardinals win and the Vikings win, then we make the playoffs if we win our next five games in a row. Like, the coach is the ones who go, so it's going to happen then. Right. And that's the job. And I can't help looking at the Thomas Brown thing and you get away from it. You finally get to look in the mirror and be realistic. And now they if 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 the Bears go with Caleb Williams, they've almost got a guy that they can say, you guys weren't you guys weren't saying this last year. Right. (laughs) Like, well, well, he, he also has the view of like, hey, this didn't work with a rookie quarterback. 
Like what? Yeah. Like exactly. That, that, I've been, I've coached at lots of different places. I mean, I'm, I can't even name all the schools, but I, I take away the good things. And I remember the bad, I almost remember the bad things more. I'm like, that's, don't do this. That's what I'm saying. Where that. Thomas Brown could be like, so that might work. Maybe Caleb's different than Bryce, or maybe it's Drake. I don't know. We're going to, you and I, I hope are going to maintain this air of who's to say yeah, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. goes on at quarterback. But it, let's say the Bears are considering drafting Caleb and Thomas Brown might be an important voice to say, we actually thought the same thing and that did not work at all. We, we really thought that that was going to work. We had major issues, and maybe they refine the idea. Maybe they throw the idea out altogether. But it sure seems to me, Nick, like a, a much nicer way of doing this than Matt Nagy bringing in his boy, Mike Fury, and wide receivers never getting any better. Like in this case, the pass game, which I feel like needs to take a step forward, regardless of who's a quarterback for Chicago. You've mm -hmm. got two voices that are similar but different, and they have both done the job before. So yep. as long as Thomas Brown understands that he's not going to get the 51% vote, like majority probably is still going to be Shane's decision, it's got to be a nice voice to have in the room. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the other part of it too is like, so he's, I mean, if you look at Thomas Brown's history, and and I, I have to throw this in here, y'all, like Thomas Brown, long time ago, was a running back, okay, in the NFL, and he played at Georgia, and for one small sliver, me, me and his paths have crossed. Uh, I was on the other sideline uh, coaching against them, and they they, they killed us. But, the, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's Georgia. Of course, Georgia sure. most of their games. So that's that's kind of something small hey, and kind of funny. That but, was West, that was back when you were at Western Kentucky, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, Malachi Corley, he held his own. Dude, dude, I know. We'll, we'll get into that one. We'll I got in there. I, we'll get in we'll get there. Out. So you look at his path, right? So Thomas Brown's been a running backs guy. He was an OC at Florida, Miami, Florida. Running backs, then got into do with the Rams. You know, think of you know McVay. Running backs, running backs, assistant head coach, running backs, assistant head coach, tight ends. Then last year was the first time he was an OC. So while while he's got the experience a bit here, you know, like I think he's still like, hey, I need to develop my roundness because if, if you have the run game and now he's going to pair up that pass game, like that's, I mean, think of me even as a coach, sure. I'm a, as an offensive guy, I think it would be super advantageous for me to be a defensive coordinator for a year or two. Right. Just so I get that part of the game, so that way you get both aspects. So when you think of that part of it, okay, then you add in, so Kerry Joseph, he's going to be the quarterback's coach, and he worked with Waldron in Seattle. He also coached receivers. And so, and he was a former quarterback. So like, okay, so we have, we're pairing that together. And Waldron's specialty has been quarterbacks and as OC mainly. Those, those McVay guys all, they're all quarterback obsessed. I know. And, and I know. I, we love it. Like, that's a oh, good yeah. thing. Bears could use somebody who, say what you will about Matt Nagy, last guy that we got that was a former quarterback was a much better quarterback's coach, I think, than what they ended up with in the regime that immediately followed. But mm -hmm. that's that's more me just trying to cut. Look, I believe, Nick, that you and I could do an entire podcast on how unfairly criticized a lot of coaches are. Like, I don't ever want this to come down to Andrew Janoko is a bad coach. It's yes. not that simple. It's no. not that simple. Super complicated. Matt Nagy, I think, when we look back, did a much better job with Mitch than so far 
literally anybody else in the league. Matt Nagy sure seemed as if he had a better plan for Justin Fields than the regime that immediately followed. Matt Nagy, notoriously loved by Patrick Mahomes, there were all kinds of head coaching things that Matt Nagy did not do. But Mm -hmm. the quarterback part, he got right. And I'm hoping that Shane can bring a similar experience, especially with Kerry Joseph, because Shane's just not going to have the time to spend every waking moment with his quarterback, right? No. So no. it feels like that background of having played the position and going through it, that it's really valuable, at least mm-hmm. when you look around the league. And, and and the other part I think that's valuable is that with, with Shane bringing in guys that at least he's worked with before, either with Seattle or with the Rams, he's not going to have to coach them up and be like, hey, mm-hmm. remember, this is the verbiage. It's like that we at least have some chemistry already. Um and so, so one of those is Chad Morton. He's going to be running backs coach. Mm-hmm. Thank God we have a running backs coach again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Funny caveat, y'all. Okay, so again, don't don't get mad. He's got you know some experience with Green Bay. Okay, it was as a coaching administrator and a special teams assistant. Okay, that was early in his career. Okay, so like oh, Green Bay go. special teams known yeah. for being outstanding units. Anyways, I'm kidding. So, so, so then he was Seattle for. Honestly, almost he was with them for I think for nine years before now in Chicago. But Chad Morton, brother of Johnny Morton. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Remember that? Remember Johnny Morton, Detroit man. So he that's one. And then the other guy that they hired, so they kept um, Chris Morgan as they should have. Very good offensive line coach. They got Luke Steckel, who is um, going to be assistant O line, and he's been with the Titans mainly. As Hasn't O-line. he been an up and comer too? Like. See, I, that's a name I've heard, and yeah. I, I know a lot of this is agent stuff. Look, all right, so Bears fans, I hate to burst your bubble, but whenever you see Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport tweet about a random coach that you've never heard of, I can tell you who their source is, and it's that coach's agent. Like, <laughs> that's it's part of the publicity game. Like, once you see Schefter and, and Rappaport as conduits, of somebody's message you just start playing the game of who is telling me this and it mm-hmm. because honestly a lot of it is agent work and more power to them that's what they mm-hmm. should be doing but i so i couldn't tell you whether steckel is actually like a revered coach and a real up-and-comer or just somebody whose agent does a lot of work for him but i know the name which is weird right. to me because i don't know that many titans coaches yeah no I, I i've heard that as well so i think the interesting thing so that's offensive staff and then the only defensive staff, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the only new one is Eric Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Defense coordinator? I think so. so. Which tells me two things, by the way, just as we talk about all this. And yep. I'm going to pose my thought in the form of a question, Nick. Am I Rorschach testing the Bears situation, like seeing what I want to see? Mm-hmm. Or does this read to you like as it's plain as day, Matty Berflus is going to be calling defensive plays. And this Bears coaching situation, at the very least, has been sold to these coaches as much more stable than a lot of Bears media seems to be making it out to be. Yes, I I think so 100%. It has to, because you wouldn't get this quality of candidates if you're like, this is going to be a one and done type of thing. Like you, I think think you also could sell it, and I know people don't want to hear this, I think you also sell it in those meetings as they all think it's going to be Caleb. Every job interview is a two-way interview. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like when the Bears interview Shane Waldron, Shane Waldron interviews the Bears. And maybe I'm nuts, man. You tell me. But while Brian Poles is really put together, Matt Eberflus tends to have <laughs> pretty bad days when it comes to talking to the media. Now, maybe yes. he wear, he probably wears a completely different face when he's talking to his coaches and when he's talking to his players. But you would think, wouldn't you, that a lame duck situation, like Waldron would ask certain questions about like, well, how long is your contract? Like different things. And when you get guys that dog, dodge that question or they say, it's a one-year deal, but you know, we're, we're talking with ownership. We're feeling really good about sticking. That's the wrong answer. Like yeah, yeah. It's, there's no way he's he has to have multiple years left. I would this think. stuff is transparent. You tell me because you've actually done these interviews, but I imagine you can tell when a coach is maybe not on the hot seat, but certainly not totally assured for mm-hmm. the next year and the year going forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, well, and there's also a feel in the building. You know what I mean? Like, I, in my opinion, it has to be very, very positive in that building right now to get to gain all that talent, but also like. The other huge positive, and and I and I want to go back to Washington after this though. Yes, is Ian Cunningham did not get a GM job, mm-hmm. and you could debate, y'all. I know last offseason was big in this rebuild. This offseason could be the biggest offseason in Chicago Bears. You could argue recent history. Like, I'm not, that's not. I'm not a hyperbole guy. But you go, you go 20, 30 years. You got the number one pick. You got this decision between Caleb or May or Fields. You've got some money to spend. You're either way, there's going to be a trade. You're either trading Justin or you're trading one-on-one. Yep. So you have to negotiate and you have to bring in all these coaches. Like it's a very, very important decision. And having right. not not the top guy who again, I love Ryan Poles. I think you like a lot Absolutely. of people like him, confident in him. Having his right hand man there again for another offseason is a home run. I got a metaphor for you that I think is the perfect way to put this because I've heard that talk about like this is the most important offseason. I think you could argue that 2020 2023's offseason and this year 2024's offseason blend together as the most important two years of team building that the Bears have seen in what do you think 40 50 years because oh, to me this this last offseason was creating the ingredients to bake something right you were you were adding fun defensive line talent like Gervon Dexter you were adding a completed picture uh through your defensive back unit that helps make all it, it helps lift all the boats through a rising tide you added Montez Sweat to get a picture of whether or not this defense works uh early returns seem to say it does right you added a number 1 wide receiver to give your quarterback a theater with which you thought he could show you something and the backup running back Roshan Johnson ends up with more targets than your wide receiver too that's not some definitive smoking gun bang it's more like you you gave a lot of this roster opportunities to show you something but man now you got to bake the cake like now you have a bunch yeah. of ingredients right you got the batter yep. You, you've got everything looks like it could come together, but are you going to screw it up and end with a cake well, that's imploding on itself? Or are you going to put it in the oven, get it out right? You know what I'm saying? It, it, well, like so far, like if you want to think about like a, like a, like a paper, you get your intro, you get your meat, you get your conclusion. We've already seen the intro of Ryan Poles. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a couple moves at eh, Chase Claypool, Larry Okunjobi, but then you see all these other ones. Now you're getting like, maybe the middle of the meat part. And you're like, okay, let's see how this story is going to go in terms of what his vision is. Cause we're going right. to learn a lot more 
about him. Because I and, agree with so, you. The 2025 offseason is the icing. It's the conclusion. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, it's probably not all done this this offseason. But you're going to get the core set. Like, yes. this is when you, what, you draw a little box and you put in all the parts that are going to drive the Bears for the next, we hope, eight years. Like, I don't even think that's hyperbolic. The hope is, is that whatever happens here is set through 2027 at the mm -hmm. absolute minimum. And we hope it's longer than that. That's how mm -hmm. Green Bay got to be in Green Bay. But, wow. Wow, it's well, so well, you'll, critical. You'll have, you'll have two top 10 picks under contract for minimum four years. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and two. And you know what's funny is you said a um, – and I, I, I got to get back to Eric Washington here in a second. But so you, you put a tweet out here. And oh, I no. think I tweeted you or, or I commented. Well, either way, you said how this is going to be like a um, you want the Bears to do something new. I, I, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and honestly, no matter what they decide, it will be new because because they they'll, they've never picked a quarterback number one overall ever. Their right. whole history. Sid Luckman was number two overall. People remember Mitch. He was two overall or having multiple first round picks in multiple years in a row. Right. Will be new. The last be time they had two first round picks, Robert, was 2003. I, I graduated high school that year. And it was Michael Haynes and mm -hmm. Rex Grossman. They've had, they they've had many more years, to your point, with zero first round picks than they've mm -hmm. had two first round picks, which obviously two first round picks is a little rare. So in many idea or many people would say that that should go without saying, but it is worth mentioning Nick. Cause I was, I was talking to somebody on the plane on the way home from mobile, Ian, I hope you listen to this podcast. And we were talking about how the bears have kind of taught the fan base that you don't have a first round pick more or less. Right. Cause we've traded that first round pick away for so long that the idea that the bears could take a quarterback and still have all their future firsts and the players that those could bring back for the Bears is, I don't know if we're fully aware of, for instance, just how important Trent McDuffie picked around 25 is to the current Chiefs senior or Super Bowl run, maybe, or at least they hope so, right? Or George Karloftis. I, I, I have some data on this. So, Oh my gosh, you're prepared. I, Eric Washington, well, we'll get to you. You didn't even know I had this. I don't think. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a big study. I did a mini study on this. Because because there is two decisions here or two choices here for Chicago, how they're going to go. And, you know, and I, and I know people like it's so cancerous, like just be nice, y'all. Like we, we don't <laughs> we're not making the call. No, we're not. I, I, there's lots of decisions here to be successful. But so I was like, OK, so so let's say they have multiple first round picks. Is that successful for a team? So here here's a quick study. So I did the last eight NFL drafts. OK. And a team has had multiple, like, like they've drafted, not they had, and then traded away. They've drafted two first round picks in the same first round 33 times in the last eight years. Oh, wow. That's actually a lot more than I expected. Mm -hmm. uh, 20 different teams did it. So some teams did it multiple times. And um, the results are this. I mean, I just made some kind of easy mm -hmm. results. So did the team make the playoffs either that year or the next year? Okay. It happened 61% of the time. That's pretty good odds. Making the playoffs within three years. So that year, the year, year after, 82% of the time. Made the conference championship game within those three years, 21% of the time. Okay. And then 
if you think about it. So like even like last year's first, like teams that had multiple firsts, like Seattle, right? Seattle didn't make the playoffs, but that's only one year of trying to get it. So this data set isn't even complete because they still have another year to hit the first threshold, mm -hmm. another year to hit the next one, and even to hit the conference championship game. So it's really incomplete data. But even with that, ooh, that's a big advantage. So what I'm doing now is I'm going back till 2010, and I'm getting all those teams. But then I'm also I'm also calculating teams that didn't have a first round pick, and was that how Worse. negative was mm -hmm. it? You know, because you look, there are teams. Philadelphia is one of them, I think. Sure. Off the top of my head. I know Detroit is. They've had back-to-back first-round, two first-round picks in back-to-back -back drafts. Yes. And you're like, oh, Detroit's loaded. This is why. So I'm wondering how, how much it's going to tip, you know, either my opinion or someone else's opinion, just to see how successful that is. And I think a lot of people are like, hey, do you have the Patrick Mahomes? Like, dude, Patrick Mahomes is a GOAT outlier. Don't do that. Well, do you have a good quarterback or a very good and like you could have that debate but having the whole team we're finding out is important too well and it doesn't help anything nick that we're looking at a very different quarterback landscape than we were right during the age of brady there were so many other greats like there's no other word to describe it if phil if a young philip rivers was playing right now just shoot from the hip is he top five? Oh, easy he was never top five while he played like by most people's conventional definition, that may be too hot takey. I, I can't actually pretend that I know, no. But I know that I grew up making a joke with Cowboys friends of mine that the two gatekeepers to the word elite were Philip Rivers and Tony Romo. And if you were better than both, you were elite. And if you weren't better than both, you weren't. And one of them usually was elite. And the other was the last very, it was the very goodest quarterback yeah, in, yeah. like in the yeah, NFL. And they flipped back and forth. And maybe they'll both be Hall of Famers, but it sure stinks for them that they played right alongside Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and others, right? Right now, we have kind of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. It's no disrespect to Lamar Jackson. It's no disrespect to Joe Burrow. It's no disrespect to Justin Herbert. They're kind of, they're kind of just different. You know what I mean, Nick? And they're both AFC. So when you talk about how, oh, well, you need the Patrick Mahomes, I'll tell you right now, I'm convinced that if you actually did get a quarterback that rivaled Patrick Mahomes, that would do some crazy damage in the NFC mm -hmm. because the NFC doesn't really have an opponent competitive at that position. But in lieu of that, yeah, the Jared Goff types, the Dak Prescotts, like they'll tear up the NFC. Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, like you, like the NFC right now, it's wide open. All, I, I would debate. I would. I mean, you could debate that best quarterback in the NFC would rank. Sixth, seventh, eighth in the AFC. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you're seeing that having the really good team in the AFC or in the NFC is succeeding with a decent quarterback. In the AFC, you have to have that elite guy. Like, like you're, you're seeing the whole thing play out. And it, it's kind of interesting. So, so one thing that I have, I, I, you made me pull up Philip Rivers' stats, by good. the way. Good. This podcast should be free flowing. <laughs> Dude, Philip Rivers, last eight years, he threw for over 42.86 every, oh no, 41.69 in eight straight years. I believe, by the way, that that would put him, because I was just looking at this, so I'm pulling it straight off the top of my head. I think that would make him a top eight quarterback by yardage specifically uh, by 2023 standards. 
And and, and those weren't even his best teams. He no. had only two of those teams had double digit wins. <laughs> Early in his career is when he had the play action with Ladinian Tomlinson. Mm-hmm. And he had, let's see, four three four thousand yard seasons in there, but they had 14 wins, 11 wins, 13 wins. You know, they had some squads. So, right. but, um, so, okay. A couple of things. All, is, this, I, I, all this to say, so that I can just get to, back to the, the soul of your research, because yeah. you, you, you gave us some good stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. The bears at this stage, no matter what they do should fit the conventional definition of what you described as picking with two first round picks. What do they do going forward? We will see. But they are already kind of in the driver's seat based on mm-hmm. what you're saying. And based on your data, within the next three years, should make the playoffs. Which, yes. I mean, I think three years is an awfully long lens. I don't think the Bears will get that kind of leash. But even starting with 61%, and then I bet if you redid the same data with a cutoff of top 10 picks, you might see the data change a little bit. But mm-hmm. that you're going to get like four teams. So there might not be a big enough sample size. Yeah. Because the like late... the, like the teams the teams that failed a lot were the Raiders. They had multiple firsts and, well, and that's when they, they had like cataclysmically the... screwed it up, right? Yeah. With Farrell well, I mean, and uh Jacobs. Henry Ruggs, Ruggs, remember that? Oh man. That's sad, but very um, sad. Yeah, but... There's a lot there. So no, I agree with you though, but like the odds are in Chicago's favor, again, y'all, no matter what happens here, to make the playoffs very soon. They I am so excited. Like coaching staff and all, it's so funny seeing all these names pop up on the Bears coaching staff roster. Because look, you and I, Nick, as much as one of these days we hope that we are staples in the world of Chicago media and we can just request an interview with Kerry Joseph and sit down with him and like, drink, I don't know, drink water. Definitely it would be water. It would not be anything else. Uh, kids, muff your ears. We drink beer uh, with, with like Kerry Joseph and talk about ball. But we're not going to get the chance right now. So all we can do is look at record and hope for the best because that's what you do when Mm -hmm. when you're a fan in this situation. But, I mean, I can't help Nick but look at this whole offensive setup and feel like they are building this thing as well as you can given that they didn't change their head coach. And, hey, this is way better than I really did think it was going to get. Oh, my gosh. And so in that case, I can't help but – look, if if we do nothing else on this show, Nick – like we're going to dig as deep as we can into every Bears topic. We're going to really try to look at everything from every angle. We're going to do everything we can to be thought-provoking. But at the end of the day, I do hope we're willing to say, yeah, that's what I would do. But it's because of these things. And ultimately, Ryan Poles did it his way. And his way has looked a lot better. Like, mm-hmm. they, I would argue the Bears right now are getting the best of both worlds. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, well, if you think about it, if, if continuity was your issue, man, did they sure attack it? They got mm-hmm. a very good wide receivers coach, which you'd think of the other ones that they were thinking about hiring got hired after Chris Beattie got hired. So you're like, okay, well they got their one-on-one of wide receivers coach. And then you got Waldron before the other OCs that were really, really sought after Slowick Ben Johnson went back to their teams because, like, if not, right now, Shane Waldron could be in some of those interviews, you know? Oh, yeah. So, you you look through it. It's awesome. So, if you wanted to fix the passing game, man, they went after it. Like, man. It, it, like, I'll compare it to this one. I don't, and, again, this might be dating. I don't know how much you remember this stuff, Robert. But some people will remember this, okay? 
Randy Moss's rookie year was like awesome. Like mm-hmm. awesome, y'all. Like you, you saw, and again, his nickname was the freak, but you saw a freak. You're like, dude, that guy is that tall, that fast, and just like he's playing at a different level than everyone else as a rookie. The next draft, Green Bay's like, oh, we're drafting a corner in round one, round two. And round three, and honestly, round three was Mike McKenzie. He was the best one. They, they, they but they, they're like, we're gonna keep going and throw stuff at the wall. That's what it felt like with this coaching staff. They're like, hey, we're gonna get so much passing, um, good systems focus that there's there's no way the passing game can be bad again. That's certainly the hope, isn't it? I mean, we'll see. Fun, coaching is always going to be a matter of execution meets player ability. But I can't help but think that the Bears have, I love Matt Eberflus's quote about having something up his sleeve. Like, if I had to guess, and this can transition a little bit, if, do you want to talk about 109? Or do we want to get to 109 after we talk about Senior Bowl? Well, hold on. I, I want to talk about this the um, the staff, just a couple of small points. So Washington, one, Eric Washington. We do need to talk about Washington. Sorry, yeah. Eric. Yeah, so Eric Eric Washington was was a D-line coach with the Lovey Bears, which is good. Um, has been a defense coordinator before. I don't think it was overly successful, but again, some experience there. Lauded for player place. development on the mm-hmm. defensive line, which well, I think is perfect. Right, because I talked about that in the last episode. I was like, hey, it, it, you, you got your linebackers guy that's, you know, with Flus, and now you got a defensive, guy, defensive line guy. They all have their specialty. And you're going to have a D-line coach. So you're going to have these guys that can help, kind of like Thomas Brown. Thomas Brown, he's good with running backs, right? And then you got Waldron, he's good with quarterbacks. But you still have a running backs and a quarterbacks coach. Like I feel like the Bears are are going very, very whole picture mm-hmm. for de- player development. And so what I want to do is, so, so that's the Washington hire. But the thing that I want to add in was, these guys on staff that they brought in, they know guys that are free agents mm-hmm. and I've, I've got some guys and you probably have some too, but some, some potential free agents, cause we'll get into free agent episodes within the show, but just, I want to put some guys on your radar that the bears could sign that these guys have coached. Who are you thinking? These guys know, and we know networking is big, Robert. Who are you thinking? Who are you thinking? Okay. So the, the biggest one, I think that is just blaring. Like I think Chicago is going to sign this guy. And I think it's, I'm 70% sure they're signing them. And? Defensive end, AJ Epinesa from Buffalo. Okay. Epinesa's all right. Yeah. 25. He's not going to be super expensive. He was, uh, I think, like, uh, his PFF grade was like 80 this year. That's pretty good. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Pretty good. 80. Per, uh, and I, you know me. I bring all this stuff. 85th percentile arm length. So you get the, the long guy opposite sweat, right? Mm-hmm. He's not terrible against the run. And his D-line coach last year is now in Chicago, y'all. You think, and they need a D-end. Kind of feels like it fits. If he's got an 80 PFF grade, if you don't mind me asking, why would he hit free agency? I mean, I assume that means he's a pretty solid pass rusher too, right? Buffalo doesn't have money, man. Oh, so just a cost of the market. They, they, they can't. They can't. I mean, they're, they're going to be cutting as it is. Okay, so here's another question. 
right? Bears have 80 million in cap space next year. I think the year, or like as in 80 million more than they have this year. Once they spend to finish out this year, even including all the stuff that you've talked about, they'll have mm-hmm. an excess of $80 million next year. If the Bears think they are drafting a rookie quarterback, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Uh, do you think that they will push money into the future? Uh in during this free agency period or at least structure the deals don't call them front loaded or well don't call them back loaded because they don't have to be back loaded but just the standard fare very low cap hit this year most of your cap hit starts to click click through next year and you get that like lower hit plus the bonus you know what i'm saying like yep, do the no, bear start I, I, structuring standard yep i think they will 100 percent start doing that because they cleared it up so they don't have to deal with issues now because if you reset the quarterback contract, like I think they're going to go, you, this is the window. Your you got to take advantage. Five, it's five years, baby. You got to, you got to, you got to hit when it's good. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like NBA Jam. You hit a couple threes, man. You got to hit that three again to see if you got a heater going. Especially because I can't help but think. First of all, I agree with you. By the way, I think that the Bears will do what they got to do to trick the cap so that they can add a couple extra free agents. Not that they're trying to build an army of free agents, right? Just that they're trying to finish the team. This is, you can't really go into next year, rookie quarterback and all, if that's what they do, with a skeleton room in the house. Like, you need to have a finished house. Whether it's the best house ever or not. Like, dude, do you still want to change out some of the light fixtures? Do you want to switch the backsplash on the, like, on the what the kitchen you can get to all that later you have to just finish the house at the very least and i can't help but think that what that's that's gonna be a free agent center that's gonna be at least one edge player it could be a splash defensive lineman it does not have to be chris jones but i think that if you were gonna make a splash move it would more likely be defensive line but you can't also not add a receiver like whether it's curtis samuel tyler boyd etc there's just enough guys on the shopping list it's gonna be super doable it's just not gonna be as doable if you're taking their bonus and their salary and you're and you're basically front loading the money by even splitting it you're gonna have to you're gonna have to balance cap a little bit no i i agree with you no and that that's a good point to bring up as we're gonna get into that season so let me go run through some of the other guys and then we got to get into the other part of the show so Julian Blackman is a safety for the Colts. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Eberflus has some has some experience with him there. Whether he likes him or not, he's 25. Epinesa's 25 too, as well, y'all. Um, Seattle. So again, Waldron was there. Chad Morton was there. And you got uh quarterback coach Kerry Joseph was there. So this is this is an interesting one. I just want to put it out there. And again, I like Tyson Bajan. Do they bring Drew Lock in as a backup? Who it's knows? Gonna be, it's gotta be Drew. It's got to be Marcus Mariota. I feel like this is very common, right? Where you go rookie quarterback. Look, I love I love Tyson. Like, yep. I think Tyson's awesome. I think Tyson has a future in this league one way or another. And I'm not trying to just sit here and wish him the best. It's more like right. I'm looking into the camera, I guess your metaphorical eyes, Bears listener, and saying mm-hmm. it is pretty normal to bring in a veteran that is also a backup veteran because the coach on the field thing it's real, or at least these teams seem to think it's real, well, right? And, and he's he literally just worked with all those guys, right? Not to mention, just saying, just saying. All right, so the Bears are the only team with the opportunity to cheat, and I love cheating. Cheating generally, like if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. 
What, Look, what, Nick, what are you a Raiders fan now? I say what you will. Like <laughs> I just win, baby. I I kind of look at those what those uh, Patriots things. Look, this may be a take that a lot of people don't like. I I hear you. I understand. Hear me out. You know what I mean? If we ended up with the scandal that the Astros had, I still have Astros fans claiming that uh, like in my life because I'm Texan that oh no, but well, we won. You try taking it from us, and there's some truth to that. Like almost a by hook or by crook. If it won the Bears a Super Bowl, great. But what I'm really trying to get at here is much. It's not cheating. It's not. I'm teasing. The Bears are the only team that knows that nobody can take the pick away from them. If they decide that they that the pick is all but in, they can communicate with Rick Scangrello of QB Collective, and they can just have him PDF download Shane Waldron's playbook. And and who's to say what he would do with it? You know right, what I no, mean. That's fair. Like you can well, start, you can start working on key. And if you signed a Drew Locke, to use an example, suddenly that's another person where it's like, oh, what? Well, suddenly Drew Locke and Caleb Williams are spending a lot of time together. Who's yeah. to say what they're talking about? And then Caleb shows up to OTAs just a couple months ahead of the standard rookie curve. Yep. That's all I'm saying, right? A, well, a team at four. You, Ahead, the team at four can't do this with JT Daniels. That that's all no. I'm really getting at. Like no. the team and at number you, one can't. You you already know your plan. Like you you know the plan, and again whether we don't know what it is, but they we know. Don't. And they, and they also know what well, they they could do it the other way too. If they're knowing, hey, we know we're going to trade it, then get just those playbook with everyone else, and you could, and then you know your free agents you're going to bring in to to complete. You know, so it works either way. Um, so again, I'll go through this quickly though. So Drew Lock, we, we're on, we're on, we're in lockstep on that one. Love it, love um, it. Tight end, we want to bring in another tight end. Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson are both free agents, mm-hmm. both from Seattle. Evan Brown, I'm not as big a fan of in terms of being as a starter because he was 27th best center, but he could be your. No, uh, Lucas, Lucas Patrick. Then he, he will the backup, be the starter. Then he will he be the starter. You're wishing this on guy. me. <laughs> backup interior guy. All right. Tennessee Titans. Center Aaron Brewer, right? Super athletic. Mm-hmm. 11th best center. He's 26 years old. Luke Stenkel, right? Came from the Titans. So there's a connection there. Um, other Buffalo Bills guys. I, I just thought this was funny. I just listed them all. These are all the free agent D linemen they have. Daquan Jones, Puna Ford, Tim Settle, AJ Epinesa, Shaq Lawson, Linville Joseph. That's not good for Buffalo. No, no. And then, and then the other thing that I thought was interesting, I'm just going to flip this. When you play in division, you get to know your opponents. Oh, yeah. Okay. Eric Washington is now the DC. He saw Connor Williams quite often. Okay. As the center at Miami. So you, so if if that's a guy that's a guy that I want, he'd be like, hey, dude, that guy is a problem. I want him on our squad so I can he he can be a problem in practice for us. We ain't gonna be playing him in the games, you know. Right. And then the last team I wanted to bring up was, I, I looked at the Rams. They don't have a whole lot of guys I really care for, but Carolina. You talked about receiver, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you even if you get a receiver at nine. Or round two. I think you want to bring in some kind of a veteran. You had mentioned uh, Curtis Samuel and Tyler Boyd. DJ Shark was just in Carolina with Thomas mm-hmm. Brown. He's available. And then also, he, Thomas Brown will at least know some of the defensive guys. And I know it's pipe dream, y'all. 
I'm not I'm not a big fan of this one. I'm just going to throw it out there, though. Brian Burns, he would at least know him. Um, and Jeremy Chin, who has been underachieving. But if they want to have some reclamation project as your third safety, he could be the guy. I would be pretty blown away if Brian Burns actually made it to market. I mean, I, the Panthers have to be in an upbuild phase. And the reason that matters is because you can't really play the comp pick game if you're signing free agents. And you have to imagine the Panthers are going to throw the bank or like basically just throw the pocketbook at people. To try to get do you stay. think do you think Brian Burns fits Chicago? Uh so here's exactly what I think. As a front side defensive end, not even a little bit. But could you like is that a player that your defensive head coaches might say, Well, I can fit him in. Like a player like that, you're really gonna get it for me. I think I can make a spot for him. I wonder, especially because you spent as much money as you did on your linebackers. And speaking of, I literally don't know where to fit this point in the podcast, but recently I was just thinking about football as we do, right? And it dawned on me how schematically similar Sean McDermott and uh, Matt Eberflus are, save one major change, right? I think it's really intriguing that Matt Eberflus traditionally underspends on safety, but spends big on his linebacker or his linebackers. And he gets mm -hmm. a lot of production out of his linebackers. Whereas Sean McDermott seems to be the opposite, right? Jordan, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde were his big ticket free agents and he deploys them all over the place. And it is so funny, isn't it, Nick? Just wait, 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 wait. you mean Buffalo? Buffalo. Uh, Sean McDermott. Oh, I was thinking Sean McVay. Sean no, McDermott. No, no. McDermott. Sorry, okay. if, if I said McVeigh, I apologize. No, maybe I, maybe that was me thinking that. Comparing okay. McDermott, one defense, like one grizzled four-three yeah. defensive coach to uh, cover two base, also to another grizzled like mm -hmm. uh, veteran defensive head coach that runs a four-three with a tam two base, uh, and it's just so interesting, isn't it? Where it's like both of these guys clearly want to clog the middle. Matt Eberflus believes you do it with linebackers. And Sean McDermott believes you do it with safeties. And don't you just love how football works that you can have two pretty much <laughs> pretty similar schemes, but yeah. the core position or the engine positions of how they create their chaos and coverage, they can have completely different ideas on how to do it. And both can be totally successful because by the end of the season, Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards were dominating. Like they were taking over games in the middle. And I can't. And that's, and, yeah, that, that's why I love football, Robert, because because everyone thinks like, OK, you you know, that there's this one I way to do it. How, how many times on Twitter? It's like you get your Patrick Mahomes and then you just win fucking championships. You play year. three, four. It's the it's only like, way to do it. What do you want to do? So play defense for 2006? <laughs> like so many ways. To do it. You know, actually, that's a good point to bring up um, with um, safety uh, with McDermott. No, because Eric Washington coming over. Maybe he can resurrect Tremaine Edmonds a little bit because he knows him, right? Because he can elevate that game because he had that lull. He wasn't very good early in the year. His run defense can get better. Maybe Washington, with that relationship, he can you know, use the strengths more. I can't help but think that what Maine needs is a slightly stronger front four that takes a blocker out of his face as often as possible. I mean, mm -hmm. look, I am not going to break out the word that's associated at times with toilet paper. We're just not going to say it on the podcast in relation to a 6'5 human that could eat me if he wanted to, right? But Tremaine Edmonds does not want anybody to block him, and it doesn't really matter how big the blocker is. No. Whether that's a tight end, a running back, an offensive lineman, or a wide receiver, you block Tremaine Edmonds, he's blocked. But you leave him free, he's kind of a predator. Like, the yeah. guy is 
a hunter when he's mm -hmm. free to move, especially when he's able to move laterally or move in coverage. This can work for us. It's mm -hmm. a little more niche than I think I wanted it. But if we're honest with ourselves, Roquan Smith has a very similar issue. So I don't think it's this massive downgrade and I don't want to sell it like it is, but it's definitely something that the Bears are working around because, I mean, Nick, I think you'd agree the common fan would look at a guy like TJ Edwards, who's a little more of a complete linebacker plays up at the point of attack and still defends the pass pretty well and think that guy's the $18 million one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing I, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds under in chief this year. And if you want to resurrect that, okay, let's get the defensive line in front of him to play like it played in Buffalo as best we can. And let's make the $18 million guy that we already paid. Let's get more ROI on that. Well, actually, as a matter of fact, I think that brings us into our next topic of conversation because, look, everybody's talking about what to do at 101, right? And Nick and I are going to get to some Senior Bowl stuff here in a little bit because I think once we talk about what to do at 109, what you do down the rest of the draft order starts to crystallize, and that's where these Senior Bowlers really come into play, Nick. But, yep. I mean, that this actually was the topic of conversation at the Airbnb that me and some of the building the board team like sat around it. So I'm very ready for this. What are uh, you thinking? What are your thoughts on 109? So so I've come around to a and again, this is this is schematic. This is just the the stuff that I you, know, you say love it. This stuff I said this on Tuesday. So, <laughs> so, so let's say Chicago. And again, I, I love this player. If Chicago goes with Brock Bowers at 109, I think it helps the offense more than going with a receiver at 109. And here's why. Oh. And I know people will be like, we already have Cole Komet. I understand we have Cole Komet. But when you look at the, the top four teams this year that made it the furthest, right? Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, San Francisco. They have one thing in common. They have an elite tight end, all four of them. And what does that do? When you have an elite tight end out there, man, is that run or pass? I don't, uh, what are they doing? Oh, play action. You don't know what they're doing. When Bayless Jones is in the game, we know what you're doing. Trent Taylor is a worse offender. Like Trent mm -hmm. Taylor became very quickly, like almost a dog whistle for Luke yes. Getze or Luke Getze just because it was like, oh, they've got 15 in motion. They're running that way. Like, yep. and that's so weird, isn't it? By the way, Trent Taylor is not little guy. that yeah. good a blocker. I right. mean, not right. that they're, good. Well, that's how bad the Bears' weapons were. But the, yeah. the thing with tight end, y'all, is, and, and you saw this with, and again, this, this is sad this all happened, but when the Patriots had Gronk and Aaron Hernandez before things happened there, they were so dominant because you didn't know if it was run or pass and the play-action game was so good. And tight ends are so crucial to that aspect. And the biggest issue with NFL right now with the two high safeties is you have to have a good run game. You have to have a good play action game and you have to mess with those linebackers in that nickel. That's the game right now, y'all. You're not seeing the deep shots down the field. They're taking that away with the cover four or two high, however they want to do it. So having these tight ends and these guys that can get open in space and you can mess with run and pass and they don't know their calls, that's why Brock Bowers is super valuable. See, you know, Nick, I thought you were going to talk me into Dallas Turner at edge, right? Like just because when you take a look at these, so common thought is that if the Bears draft a rookie at number one, which is, I assume, our assumption here, right, Nick? Like, yeah, that they yeah. go rookie quarterback. Look, 
for those who aren't on Twitter, the general zeitgeist at the Senior Bowl is that everybody's pretty convinced the Bears are taking a rookie quarterback at number one. Who's the rookie quarterback? We'll figure it out. Are like do, do the media people know anything? I'll leave that up to you. But that's the zeitgeist on what you heard when you talk to people. So for a hot moment, Nick and I are just going to assume that's the direction they go, right? Because uh, I'd say the calculus changes a lot when you trade mm-hmm. down. But it's funny because I would tell you, Nick, that I think data, if we wanted to go with big old boring data, says you draft Dallas Turner or an edge at nine, you take the receiver, or you take the second round pick that you get from Justin Fields, that trade, because second round wide receivers are very commonly productive. And this draft is loaded with receiving talent, and you take the best receiver that's in the second round. If you wanted to go with like the optimal strategy, that might be it. But here's my two cents, Nick. I don't think Caleb Williams is about to be the GM of the Chicago Bears. I don't think G- Eric Caleb Williams is about to take over the Chicago Bears under literally any circumstances. But do you do you remember one of the voices that contributed to drafting Bayless Jones? It was Justin Fields. I don't remember that. Ryan Poles asked uh, Justin about a couple of his favorite options at number uh, at seventy one, and they or, and he at the very least I think got or had an opinion on which guy he wanted at least i'm pretty sure maybe i dreamed that but so we can <laughs> we can fact check that another day right all right but so the point being that if you told me nick that in interviews with caleb williams caleb williams said oh i'm stoked to be a chicago bear but for the sake of my own career, I am expecting you to draft me another weapon at number nine. Maybe that's the suboptimal play from nerddom, but man, I kind of get it, right? <laughs> like, no, I, I get it for sure. Whether that's well, like, the, the other part of this too is, is is people want, you know, again, I like Malik Neighbors. I like Romo Dunzier. Okay, mm-hmm. y'all. I don't know that they're going to fall to nine, first off. No. And, and second off, I'm convinced, as I just told you 20 minutes ago, the Bears are going to get A.J. Epinesa. You sign a guy that the D-line coach has worked with, that the career is going like this, and he's 25 years old, and you you insert in Brock Bowers, and then round two, you go receiver. Now, that's a pretty complete you're team. The you're, you're center and, and safety away from being like, wow, that's a squad. It would definitely put an ice pick in my veins if the Bears have to not get uh, Jax Powers Johnson. But I also don't think they're going to. Like, they'd have to trade down from nine and take JPJ as their probably their first round pick. I mean, this is a league that drafted Cole Strange first round not long ago. And JPJ, at least from what I saw at the Senior Bowl here, I'm going to start sprinkling in Senior Bowl takes. Like, no, he, j- j- just go with it. We're good. He looked, so, like, he looked like a superstar guard uh, that can also play center. And I tend to think that if he shows that guard versatility, now he's first rounder, right? Now he's just Quentin Johnston, but or what? No, Quentin Nelson, but a little different. And not quite Quentin Nelson. More talking about the value play. Because well, this isn't a league that's scared to draft really good guards high. No, but the, the part of the allure with JPJ is you just don't know. Like he he played defensive line in college because awesome. they needed him to. Mm-hmm. And then he filled in here. And then this year he just started at guarding. You're like, why wasn't this guy starting every game his whole career? And he's athletic and he's versatile. And you're like, dude, this guy could be superstar. A beast. A beast. And mm-hmm. I can't help looking at this whole thing. You talk about Bowers. I mean, 
Nick, I'll be the first to tell you that receivers tend to clock in around 1,000, 1,200 yards. Tight ends, if they hit 1,000, they're a king. So it's definitely a position that from a production standpoint can feel a little less sexy, especially when you add the fact that Bowers is just the teensiest bit tweener when it comes to tight ends. Like, he's not Jaheim Bell. Right. Like who, for those who don't know, that's Florida State tight end. He's six, one and a half. He's two forty two. I think he weighed in at hell, like hellishly fast, outrageously good receiver, but not a very good blocker at all. And Bowers isn't quite there. Bowers has SEC experience. Bowers has a lot of things that we like. And man, Nick, nobody, nobody hits 90 degree eight breaks like Brock Bowers does, especially at his size. That guy is a slot receiver and a half. but. Taking a tight end that high has generally been a landmine. When you look at what happened, what's happened with NFL teams, if the Bears go for it and it works, I don't think anybody will complain. If the Bears do go with that, Nick, I will at the very least be skeptical or cautiously optimistic, best case scenario. Not because I'm trying to be a hater, but because you're doing something that doesn't get done a lot. And when it does get done, it generally doesn't work. But Bowers is kind of different. Like... The generational phrase gets popped up way too often. But what's funny is, Nick, you take a look at the last, say, 10 drafts, you can find a generational player in all of them. Like, B. John Robinson was last year's generational player. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back when Mitch was drafted, Miles Garrett was a generational player. And I believe in the same draft that uh, the Bears ended up taking. I can't remember. When did they – was Minka in that draft? Or was that Jamal Adams? It was Jamal Adams that was yeah. also in the uh, or that was in the Mitch draft. This year's generational player is probably Brock Bowers. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that he's going to be that guy? Also, Marvin Harrison. So I guess you get both, uh, right? right? But is is he going to turn into a generational superstar? I mean, there's a lot, a lot of variables that have to go into that kind of thing. But I would be interested, Nick, if you told me right now. First of all. Uh, one more quick take. I think that Dallas Turner is not long for the tens. Like I will be blown away if a guy like Dallas Turner doesn't end up top eight just because I know the best edge on the board and you know, he's going to put on his little combine uniform and jump out of the gym. I, I'm thinking Atlanta at eight. What do you it, think? It makes so much more sense than yeah. the whole, this pass rusher obsessed league, not yes. taking a pass rusher. Like, mm-hmm. and then when we're pretty sure the Jets are going to take a lineman, we don't know which of these other teams are going to at least consider a lineman because linemen go pretty high in this league. And mm-hmm. with guys like Joe Alt and Olufashanu and JC Turner, like you got options mm-hmm. in this offensive line class. It's just now February. So it's really sexy to pick receivers. Receivers don't generally stack in the top 10 like that. No. So we will see, won't yeah. we? But I do think if the Bears, I, I bet you the Bears pick three players or so that they'd be happy with at nine. And if they don't get them, they at least field the phone to trade back. Yeah. And and part of it for me too is like, you know, I like Turner. Turner's my number one edge. But like Verse, he's a little older. I don't think he has the upside. He has the floor. He's kind of sweat-like in my opinion. Um, and then Latu, Latu, I like him a lot. But he's got the medical. I don't think he's going to be the dynamic athlete that a at a D end at number nine should be. Those guys are like, if you trade back to fifteen, hey, I'm no issues with me. But number nine, like Brock, 
Brock Bowers has dominated the SEC from day one. Like it's, it's not like he's had he's had one good season. Like Xavier Leggett, right? Which you saw, he had up and down Senior Bowl. He's had one really good year. That's it. I mean, and that's like, very normal too. Yeah, and if you could get Brock Bowers, and you know, he's great for your rookie quarterback or for Fields, whichever way you want to go, y'all. And live in twelve personnel, which Chicago likes to run the ball. Then that takes pressure off of having to have this amazing wide receiver too, which you could get a guy. It could be Chark, could be a day two guy. You still got Scott and, and Bayless. Like, like people, like it's dumb. You have Cole Komet. Two tight ends is very common in this Shane Waldron offense. Oh yeah. Now, granted, only one of the tight ends generally runs routes. The other one being a little bit more of a dump off threat. Funny, funny thing about Cole. <laughs> Wait a minute. Funny, funny thing about Cole Komet. That's, that's <laughs> that Leonardo DiCaprio. Is like, oh, oh, <laughs> right, exactly. And <laughs> and I'll tell you right now, man, that like truly, when I get when I get off of just optimizing what's on the football field, and I try to envision what the conversations would look like between Caleb Williams's camp, who obviously wants him to succeed, and the Chicago Bears, and they want to succeed. If Brock Bowers is a successful olive branch that might be ever so slightly suboptimal in my eyes or in somebody's eyes, there, uh, you know what? Whatever. Like, you can do all kinds of things with a weapon like that. And even if he underperformed to the tune of 800 yards, now you hope you have 200, two 800-yard tight ends, one of them that you know he's going to be a power slot. And the Bears need a slot anyways. Like, that's... Well, like look, look, at, look at the top four teams here. Oh, yeah. All of them lean heavy on this tight end. And, like, I don't know. It, you could even go back, go to Buffalo. What did Buffalo do in round one last year? They're like, they have needs everywhere. At 25. Like the little bit of a difference when they drafted Dalton Kincaid out of no, Utah, but they did, they but they did. They had Dawson Knox already. <laughs> and it created usage issues. Like all the Twitter people that went, well, I mean, are they really going to be able to balance this with Dawson Knox? They kind of didn't. And they, they'll get over it. You know what I mean? Work. Like yeah. they'll be just fine. It's just funny to think that like this problem probably is going to present some questions right but i can't help but think that a lot of what you're going to see down the rest of the board is going to play into this a lot for instance like let me talk through a couple senior bowl guys right yeah yeah one of the things that really jumped out to me at the senior bowl nick is this safety class has a lot of guys that i think fit this like slow low low second third round grade where they can come in and be a starter for you pretty quickly i would hope they don't have to be Right. But we can get to that question in just a little bit. Um, but it's like I take a look at. We, so they split everything between the national roster and the American roster. Uh, you look at the national roster and Oregon State's uh, Keaton Oladipo. You look at. Let me see. So. Sorry, everybody. I, hold on. I'm just curious here. Do you have a notebook? Do you have a notepad? Just taking notes the whole time? No, I do this all off of memory. If you ah, can okay. believe me. Uh, just because I say it enough that it's burned into my brain and you're actually catching post-flight Robert, because normally I'm much quicker than this and I don't know why I'm having to like go through the sheet and trust it. So I watched a lot of these guys beforehand. So you're catching my priors plus what I saw at the senior bowl. So so you're talking about the the Oregon state guy, right? Oregon state safety. Keaton Oladipo is an outrageous athlete. Now 
he's a pretty good safety. I have three uh, ways that I describe this, Nick. I describe it as they play ahead of the play, they play in line with the play, and they play behind the play. And if you play behind the play, like I believe Sione Vaki does, I pretty much don't consider you an NFL safety, right? Because yeah. you, you, you can't play the position if you're slow to the ball under mm. any circumstance. It does not matter how fast you are. So normally the guys that are my favorite are basically any guy that is ahead of the play. That's Auburn's Jalen Simpson, right? Who had himself an incredibly up and down senior bowl week because the guy is a true free safety in what is basically a man on man camp. And that's just never a role these guys play. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's like seven on seven. So one one thing about your Oregon state, Oladapo, I think I Mm -hmm. I, I'm saying that right. Um, his his PFF grade was outrageous this year. Like good, eighty eight point two. Good. He's, he's phenomenal. Like and he he's really got, is. He, he's got he's got uh, experience at as a box safety. Mm-hmm. Deep he does safety, a little bit of everything. Slot corner. He, that versatility is super valuable. He's right now. really good. He's somebody mm-hmm. that I would expect that the Bears might actually end up priced out of. But he's somebody that I looked at, and it's like he's got absolutely the athletic toolkit. It stands out among the rest. Uh, plus you've got or. Plus, he's a really good safety in or inside that. And even at the senior bowl, he shined. Uh, if mm. you wanted to go with a later round guy, because I'm going to try to go high pedigree, low pedigree. Right. Can, can I can I ask something on Jalen Simpson? Since sure. You're there. Sure. Did he look skinny? Yeah, of course he did. Like he's yeah. 178 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and so but I could tell you another safety who's pretty skinny. He wears okay. number four. And he's been pretty good in Chicago for an awfully long time. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't actually tell you Eddie Jackson's height and weight in particular, but when I watch Simpson's game, the comp I do come up with is Eddie Jackson now high bar. Right. But okay. I'm really more talking archetype in terms of he's a too high safety that'll play cover five and he'll play it aggressively. Right. He's one of the only safeties that I've seen that can start in center field, see a core or see a dig coming against cover three and cut the or cut the dig off over the middle of the field and get a pass breakup. You look okay. at guys like Javon Bullard, to use an example, very popular Georgia safety. Mm-hmm. Bullard's highs are really high. Everything else is a low. Like Bullard has what I would describe as moments of clarity, almost where he reaches up and touches the hand of God and God speaks the play into his ear and he goes, I know this one and everything else. He's a little slower to the ball than I want him to be, but he had himself a good senior bowl week. So who knows? Maybe I need to just watch more tape on him because I really only get the time to watch one, sometimes two games, especially when I was prepping for senior bowl. It's why you haven't seen me write up a bunch of scouting reports about most of these guys because I don't consider myself done yet. Right. But within that lower pedigree guy, Evan Williams out of Oregon is very, very solid safety, rock solid. One of the one of the better safeties at rallying to the ball as a center field safety. He tracks that really well, rolling downhill to make a running tackle and he can be pretty solid in coverage. Uh, Let's go to the American roster. I also I guess I can like lightly mention Josh Proctor. He's a little bigger than I would expect most center field safeties to be, but he knows where he's going which I really value. Older prospect, you would expect him to be polished, but he is polished. And that yeah. can be a good thing at safety because I can't help but watch some of these guys, Nick. I feel like it's safety you kind of have it or you don't in many cases. Like mm-hmm. you're either reading the plays and you've done enough film study to know where the ball is going or you won't in three more years. How, how, like, is, how, does, how does he move? Fine. Like probably hmm. the worst mover I'm gonna mention. Really? Because it's like I, I always have this bad misconception, and this is I should tall do this, people this, in my mind. It's like 
no, I he's from Ohio State. So like in my mind, I'm like, okay, he's probably a four star guy that just like hasn't fully developed, and he's probably like this freak athlete. So he's big, and lanky. So his burst yeah. isn't what Bo Brady's of Maryland is, and yeah. Bo Brady is like the honey badger. I have no idea how he graded out in coverage because the only first of all, I don't have access to PFF College. Second of all, the only PFF College game that I matched up was his Michigan game against my eyes. I thought Brady was awesome. PFF disagrees. And both like you watch that game, in my opinion, hey, who knows? Maybe Brady got picked off on a couple assignments that I gave him the benefit of the doubt for. But from my eyes, Nick, that was like watching a Jalen Petrie tape where he's mm. all over the Love field, that. like all over the field. He, he has like three TFLs in that in that yeah. game. Like he's crazy good blitz timer moves so fluidly in coverage. He's um I really don't like using Hall of Famers, so I'm trying to think of a normal safety. Like, he's a little more Josh Johnson than he is Eddie Jackson in terms yeah. of not quite true free, plays a little more in the box. But okay. Maryland Maryland let him do everything, and there's nothing I love more than watching a safety that becomes an impact player on their defense instead of kind of just a guy, right? Well, that, that's the thing now. Those three safety defenses are kind of the rage this last year i i gotta ask you about a safety that i know was at the senior bowl i heard had kitchens right has to no, be we talked about him yet but that's not the one i want to ask about the little sleeper guy that i'm fan of how did malik mustava look to you i think malik looks fun the only question i have about malik is whether he's going to be a dime backer or a safety right because oh. he's got good instincts and he can cover but he doesn't have the size that some of these other guys do and i know the nfl cares probably more than they should if that makes sense i mean he's 5 11 just short but he didn't look small he just thick maybe it's just that i when i'm watching him because i so malik mustafa man he clocked in at 5 9 and 7 tenths oh i'm looking so, i'm looking at pff oh okay oh mm -hmm. boy so he's he's 210 so he's thick but 30 inch mm. arms as opposed to everybody else in closer to the 30, 31 and a half inch. Yeah. If I sound like a Packers scout, welcome to the world listeners. No, that's <laughs> like, it, these, these are all like, <laughs> well, I think they're tiebreakers. They're all tiebreakers. They are all tiebreakers, right? Was, so, was James Williams there or no? So James Williams was there. He played linebacker. Well, he, like he's big. He was. And he was, he got cooked in coverage all week. Well, what, what did he weigh in at? Uh, he weighed in at uh, 230. It's actually pretty light for a linebacker. So 6'5", 230 or 6'4", 230? That is, let me see, 6'4", 230. <laughs> it was so funny, by the way, right? Like, So one other thing that I think is hilarious is that when these official weigh-ins start, uh, weigh-ins and measurements, you start mm -hmm. to see some guys whose measurements were absolute lies on the internet and some people whose measurements were pretty clean like look i am not about to pretend that i know everything but it was wild seeing that picture of like cj stroud bryce young and caleb williams and you can very clearly tell that caleb williams is quite a bit taller than bryce young and mm -hmm. a little only a little shorter than cj stroud and if 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 Caleb ends up clocking in at either six oh and a half or six one. I won't be surprised, and I will just giggle that his measurements were in earnest at USC. Yeah. Yeah, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense, because and he's he's not skinny. He's he's thick. So. Oh, he's thick, and we all know it. But it's it's funny looking at them. And then Cameron Kitchens. I think I feel like he's getting too much buzz to be a bear. Because the main thing that I'm looking at, Nick, if you can't tell, like I'm spending all this time talking about safety because I think that the best safety that falls to 73 ought to be a bear. 
as long as they're on the Bears board, of course, that is a great position to just start the next development at. And I know you might be looking at Eddie Jackson as a cut. I think they'll go back and ask for a restructure just to see if they can, uh, like, I, I, not a restructure. Let me say what I'm really meaning, a pay cut, right? Where they go to Eddie Jackson and they say, so we're going to cut you. If you actually want to stay, this is what we're looking at, man. And mm. Eddie might be cool with that. There's a chance that Eddie feels like he made he's made his money, he wants to be in Chicago, doesn't really want to sell his house, doesn't really want to uproot his family. Crazier no. things have happened, right? right. And well, I mean, he, he already knows the scheme, you know, know? Knows the scheme. He is a leader to these young DBs, and you can I, tell. I, I will say this, though, and this is this is the part where maybe some people might get angry, though. <laughs> Do you even want him back? He's so, not good. I, I think that there's something to be said for if you're going to play a rookie immediately. The scariest thing about this Bears defense is that Jaquan Brisker doesn't play the deep half. So you're either signing a free agent that you know is competent. Now you have to do that for center, edge, and safety. So the laundry mm-hmm. or the, the shopping list just gets a little longer. Or you ride out a year with Eddie, who can play the deep half. He can play the deep center field. He's just <laughs> He's not the fastest run rallier anymore. And then the hope would be that you've got this third safety that you're ready to deploy as soon as he earns his stripes. Who knows? Maybe even beats Eddie Jackson in camp. That would be a good problem to have. Like, it doesn't really work at quarterback because it affects the locker room too much. But at at safety, you can totally do that. And then I mean, I I want them to get two. You can sign. I like that draft or draft and draft. But I think you need to have two new safeties next year. I also feel like such a goober, and I'm really excited that I'm showing my baldness by uh, basically just wanting to talk about defensive backs because the Bears don't even need them. Like the, the Bears are pretty good at corner, but we had well, some. What? Well, quick, quick, were there any other safeties there? Was like Jaden Hicks there? Was um, uh, let me see, Deidre and Taylor Demerson there? Doesn't There's look like it. They brought yeah, a ton yeah. of safeties. Like the, the two guys from Utah, Cole Bishop and Sione Vaki, looked about like I felt like I'd seen them on their tape, which is to say uninspiring. Vaki also plays running back. I think he might end up there. Everybody loves the fact that Vaki is position versatile, and I respect that. But I want my safeties to be outrageously aware right? Like the safeties have to see the field better than anybody. And you know, as much as I would say, I want everybody to see the field pretty well, a guy like corner, I'm saying something ridiculous that you could see, you could serviceably have a blind corner if they could play press. And if they could hear the quarterback's cadence, because they could play it. Like I'm joking, but I'm basically talking about how much that position is about physicality, feel and matching your receiver downfield. Whereas the safety, you obviously don't get literally any hints. Like no. you see a snap and you see the whole thing. Think about this, guys. Think about being on the field level. All you see is the entire left side of the offensive line wrap in front of your face. You can't see the ball anymore. You're pretty sure it's being handed off to a running back. And if you can't translate what you've seen on tape, what your instincts tell you, and what you are watching quickly enough, they just popped a 50-yard run past you. Like you, ch- it's it's those moments you've seen them, Nick, where the safety's late to the hole, the running back screams up the field, and you are never, ever, ever making that well, tackle. Well, pe- people always talk about like the middle linebacker. Your mic's got to be the quarterback of the defense. I think safety is, and that's because I I've we're McDermott teams. guys. I always have my safeties doing it because the safeties see more than the linebackers. They see the motion coming. They make the adjustments. They're yelling it. They have to run the alley like you're talking about. 
but they also have to match switch off when your receivers are coming in and out of zones. They have to say in and in, out, 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 like the guys are coming in and out. Like they have to do so much more and they can't be wrong because no. that's a touchdown. Your middle linebacker is wrong. Not a touchdown. Your safety's wrong. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. And I mean, it's a position that I think the Bears desperately need to invest in. I actually think for all the talk about injuries, the Bears got obscenely lucky that they didn't lose both of their safeties for longer than they did. Because I thought Elijah Hicks was abysmal. I thought that the other backup safety, whose name I just never learned, there's a reason I never bothered to learn it. Like, I think that to, you said it well. I think that if they could add two safeties, they should. I think two safeties may be more of a two-year project, but there's too many good ones that are right in that hot zone of where the Bears are taking them. And, man, it sure seems – so Daniel Jeremiah releases his top 50. There's not a, safe, a single safety in it. I, I don't think that's weird because I think that the NFL is just changing how they value safety. It's a little yeah. too niche. It's becoming a lot like linebacker. This is a good thing for the bears because oh, yeah. you, you can get guys that are valuable. Mm -hmm. They're um, still going to matter. Or right, let, let's transition. Do you want to go receiver next? Or do you have another position you want to talk well, about? Well, I could talk about nearly any of them. If, as long as their skill positions, like there's some sweet okay. defensive linemen, uh, check out building the board for that uh, or offensive linemen, Quentin Crisco and, uh, Steve Letizia will talk your ear off. And okay, well, yeah, I, okay look quick, let's go. Darius Robinson, how awesome was it to watch him? I got split reactions from a bunch of my OL OLDL guys. Where, believe it or not, I one of my best friends, Bobby Skinner, uh, that works for Giant, like he does Giant stuff. He did not think Darius Robinson looked good, and then both Quentin really? and Steven, Steve just gushed about Darius Robinson. And I'm telling you, I just watched skills laser locked could uh, recite okay. to you almost every single rep that they did well, well, well let's stay skilled then let's go there's do you want to go oh, there's one more position i do want to talk about okay so what we're an hour and 10 minutes into the podcast y'all yeah. i watched tory taylor punt and he oh is God. so good like does this mean it's going to be a draft pick nick i don't know but for a defensive-minded staff that's considering a rookie quarterback come on nick let's just say what we both know you're gonna have your games well, you need your defense to go win it for you because your rookie and the rest of the offense are just going to be out of sync. And if you do have a punter that can hit, it's it's so funny because it's not net punt average that I care about. It's not pinning the ball in the corner. It's these magical punts that you know you've seen where the punter just rips a 72-yarder that takes you from the bad part of the field, like where you think you're going to give them the ball at the 35, the 40, and flips it, and now they've got the ball at the 15. And you go, all right. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I think Trenton Gill could be responsible for at least one loss this, this past season. I, I really think so. He like, had some bad. And again, like field position matters so much and, and so much. So again, cause we're nerds looking at this stuff. I, I tweeted out two different times in the AFC championship game that I thought the MVPs of the game so far were the punters. They were crushing it. Mm -hmm. They averaged, I think 48 or more yards net. And they were placing it inside the, the 20. I don't want to see. And they were making it a game. I don't want to see the punter more than three to four times a game. But I really don't want to undervalue the fact that that is a roster spot you are going to have a player at anyways. And there's no sense not to optimize it. I'm not trying to waste a pick. But I mean, like, Nick, I'm no punter scout. But Troy Taylor's, uh, Tory Taylor's sitting there at the, at, at like his, the, 
his 40, I guess you'd call it, like punting towards the other side of the field. And he goes inside the five, inside the five, inside the five, just dropping the ball on like the five yard line, the four yard line. Punters don't have precision control to literally just like peg the punt returner as much as he wants to. But he was clearly out there working on a couple different types of spin so that he could just drop the ball and let it bounce one way or another. The guy's pretty accurate. And if his directional punting's that good, I know his long ball is is there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right i got i got to cut you off man because I, I got more guys i want to hear about sure and i'm sorry i know so, players are people too no no, but, no no okay lad mcconkey awesome i mean it speaks for itself go watch the twitter highlights his footwork is so good he hung in there well against really good co- or against quality coverage take a look at him today i guess is when the podcast is going to release against quinion mitchell quinion looked like maybe the best player in mobile like mm-hmm. given that i was watching skills and whatnot he he was so good that he made it clear to me that Tez Walker might not be a first rounder just because Tez did not shine like Quinion did. Nobody could challenge him. Uh, Like guys like Pearsall and whatnot that we expect to be really fun third rounders. Like even they were just struggling against number seven from Toledo. And honestly, this is why the senior bowl exists is so that you can take a guy from Toledo and say, yeah, but what does he look like against SEC guys? And the answer is really good. (laughs) Isn't it sad that Quinion Mitchell was in zone so much in college and now he's man at mobile and he just crushes everybody? Crushes that. So So, he looked good. With with McConkie, could you see him, the Bears drafting him in round two? If he gets to there. (laughs) Oh, you think he's round one? I think that, so that's the problem, right? Is I think he is good enough to be drafted round one. I think that he's small enough that it will never happen. We do this every year, don't we, Nick? Like, let's let's be, let's take a breath and let's think about it. Josh Downs, second rounder, second rounder, second rounder, second rounder, second rounder, second rounder, all throughout draft season, third rounder. Tyler Scott, third rounder, third rounder, third rounder, third rounder, third rounder, then fourth rounder. Led McConkey, late first, late first, late first, late first, late first. Would he be a late two? Because he sure looks to me like he could be everything that everybody wanted Sky Moore to be. And while he's an incredible route runner, he's not Xavier Worthy fast. Like, Worthy, I, look, I, I can't tell you what I think he'll run because I'm not that kind of scout. But if you told me Worthy's going to run a 4-3, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, watching him on tape, he made Josh Newton, corner out of TCU, look like he didn't matter. I, I was like, Whoa! I mean, like, <laughs> now, granted, I was talking to a couple scouts, and they talked me through draft boards and really encouraged me, honestly, man, because they talked about how most teams' draft boards are going to be about 100 players deep with then 50 players that they're excited about. That's obviously not 250 players. So okay. in, instead of the big boards that we see, they go scheme fit, and they pick out all the players they think are draftable, and they only expect certain players to actually get in there, which made me feel a lot more confident because there's some of these corners I watch, and I go – this guy is not draftable by the Bears. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't fit the scheme at all, and he's not good enough to be transcendent. And unfortunately, Josh Newton's one of those guys. But okay. to, so, to so do you want to continue with Tez Walker? I was going mean, to say, I should, I should hit the highlights, right? Yeah, like, sure. Xavier Leggett looks like a rock star athlete, but he might not be a good receiver. Like, he did not stand out. In a, in a day where Lad McConkey day, it was in a three-day stretch where Lad McConkey was dominating. Like, Xavier Leggett looked fast. Xavier Leggett looked fluid, I guess. Like, he certainly can make a sharp cut. But, bro, he had his quarterback there. 
Like this yeah. is the guy who should have taken over the senior bowl. And instead you were looking at Carlton Davis, a corner you've probably never heard of out of Fresno state. I hadn't heard of him and Jarvis Brownlee and Andrew Phillips corners out of Louisville and corners out of Kentucky. And they were kind of striping him. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you that Xavier Leggett is awful, but I see a lot of Jonathan Mingo in his game personally, mm. where I, I, I see, I see the bad side of Treylon Burks. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Don't say that. Well, I mean, just a big athlete, <laughs> right? That, that That's not a good receiver. I mean, that's, that's a lot more Johnny Wilson too, just to throw him in there. Jamari Ooh, threat. I, I heard people liked him. Okay. Interesting. Some people did, but I mean, some people might not have seen him before and he looks like a six, five relatively fluid, huge person. Right. But a whole bunch, if, if you turn on any of his Florida state tape, it is loaded with drops and inconsistencies mm-hmm. and bad technique. And, and it's fine. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to kill Johnny Wilson. It's more yeah. to say that, right. The big guy always looks good. You know what I'm saying? You think round three for him? Probably. But okay. it, um, to me, it's a matter of whether he can block. And I would tell you if I knew I don't, but wow. Jamari thrash, his competitiveness, his competitiveness just oozed, oozed out of his reps. I literally don't know if he's big enough to be like really, really good. He's 5'11 and a half and 185 pounds, but he has a nice combination of good, of good enough footwork, snappy enough breaks, and physical enough to create enough separation. And he was one of those guys, Nick, and you know you love these guys in football camps, right? Where if the ball was close, he caught it. Like it was, it was that simple. Oh, you, you put it a little on the inside shoulder and the DB could take it away? No, they can't. And... You just love that, right? Uh, that's Bobby Ingram to me, man, for the Bears. To me, it's so funny looking at some of these because Tez Walker was the opposite. If it was close, he didn't catch it. If it was, if he was wide open, he sometimes still didn't catch it. I'm sure there was an element of nervousness there. I mean, truly. Okay. I mean, as much as we would joke around about this, these are people too. And mm-hmm. if I was Tez Walker going from no eligibility and the thought that he might not play in his in this latest season and suddenly he's being mocked in the first round yeah i'd be pretty worried too but it's a, it's a bloody business man like yeah. you're hoping for better results than that especially when tez walker at unc does leave a lot of questions about whether he can beat man coverage for you there's no mm-hmm. question that he can race past a zone defender outrageously fast especially for his size and looks so fluid in the process but I don't know, man. Like it, he was one of those guys where it, it, we saw a funny week from a lot of people. Brendan Rice got a lot of play, but for as much as I know, I talked about Brendan Rice, right? You go back and you look at some of those reps and it's like, okay, is separating with your feet on a goal line whip route in a one-on-one setting really impressive? Like is yeah. is separating on a three-step fade really impressive when you're 6'3"? He looked like a big person. He could probably block. So those are thumbs ups, but... If anything, I thought Brandon Rice highlighted what Tez Walker wasn't doing from a physicality set, set standpoint. Roman yep. Wilson looked super fluid. Roman Pier- or Ricky Pearsall, to me, looked like the whole package, which was a whole lot of fun. Like He did a lot of things well. I like Ricky Pearsall, man. I don't know how you don't, right? And then, yeah. what is it? Uh, <laughs> Luke McCaffrey was funny <laughs> to watch all week. Why? Because- because he does not have the suddenness to separate against man coverage. But if you drafted him to beat man coverage, you're nuts. 
Like he's going to be one of those guys who runs seams against zone coverage. And he's two or five. He's going to block for you really well. And he's got those bloodlines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People care, you know, like I thought Malachi Corley had an underrated senior bowl because while he wasn't that big and wasn't that fast, his biggest problem, man, was he kept getting reps after the guy that everybody wanted to see a rep from. And so if he'd win it, Everybody wasn't really paying attention and he didn't explode the way that some might think he would. But I thought his routes were really round on his tape. So seeing quality footwork in a senior bowl setting, I'm glad I know he can do it. Hmm. What was his size? Corley weighed in at uh, 5'10 and a half. It's not tall. 215. Yeah. yeah, he's a thick boy. He's that Debo guy. Like, hey, he meant Western Kentucky. Cool. Shout out. I know. I have to mention Western Kentucky. Yeah, um, man. Let me see. I really like Anaya Smith. Anaya Smith had a very, very underwhelming senior bowl, which is fine. Mm. I don't care. But if anything, it keeps my hopes alive because he's the kind of guy. So I have Anaya Smith pegged as my Khalil Shakir of this draft, if that makes sense, where it's like he's a little undersized. He is, let me see, he is 5'9 uh, and 191. But he blocks like Ooh, a demon. That's smaller than I thought. Turn on any Texas A&M tape, and they have him blocking some crazy assignments. Go watch his Alabama game if you're, if you're looking for homework, as a matter of fact. Because the other thing he's got is psychotic footwork that will help him separate, especially when he's on like vertical route stems. He's pretty yeah. fast. He I kind of struggled to separate this week. But I'm expecting him, the, the way I see him specifically, Nick, is as that wide receiver three that can give you just a little bit more. So he's got a little bit of gadget in him and he gets lost yeah. in zone coverage a lot. And then when you get him the ball, he can be a yak threat, right? Well, I, I think of him too, because he has some special teams, I think, flexibility. So he could be that. that, what you're hoping Tyler Scott could be. I've heard, I heard some good whispers from Malik Washington. What do you think about him? Malik Washington was a running back? Uh, no, Virginia. Was he there? Receiver? Virginia, is he, help, help me pick out the position. No, wide receiver, Virginia. What? Was he there? Or was I, am I wrong? You, you might be right, but let me see. Virginia receiver? Yep. I don't think he was there just because at least, (laughs) at least I didn't get to know him. So if he was there, then neat. And if, if not, then great. You found somebody who's telling you things. Was Jacob Cohen there? Jacob Cohen was there. And I expected him to be our short King and expect. And instead our short King was Jaquan Jackson out of Tulane. Like Ah. he was, he was awesome. Also, if you like receiving running backs, Dylan Lowby out of New Hampshire was uncoverable. Like he looked like a regular Danny Woodhead, man. Like a James White type. I heard. I heard. Yeah. One thing I will tell you right now that I hate, and I do not mind putting this on record. Okay, we have got to stop doing the thing where we we comp people exclusively to people of their own skin color. Like, I mean, Dylan Lowby could easily be a. uh, I mean, he's not going to be Jameer Gibbs, right? But he could easily be much more James White. Or somebody else. Like, I couldn't tell you because I haven't watched his tape specifically. James Cook. I am dying to know how he blocks. But it was so funny where it's like, Lad McConkie is not Cooper Cup. They're very, very different players. Like, both of them have good feet or good footwork. But Cup is bigger. Much bigger. (laughs) Lad is smaller, but he's lighter. And 
I liked the Deontay Johnson comp. I thought that made a lot of sense uh, for somebody like Lad McConkey. But can, 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 we, can we go back to your, your short king? I didn't hear. I want to hear more about Toledo. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two lanes. Jaquan Jackson. He had a great day, too, and looked nearly uncoverable there. Day one was fine. Day three was fine. But okay. day two, he was getting open left and right. I really thought Jacob Cowing could be really, really pop and sizzle. Because we always get like a Calvin Austin or last year it was obviously Tank Dell, right? Tank Dell. But yeah, but I mean in years past it was um um Curtis Samuel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. we I mean there's always cause or or um uh Kadarius Tony. And the problem is is that the time to run the route is way longer at the senior bowl than exactly. it is in the NFL when there's a pass rush and a blitz and you got to get out. Quick. Which is another one of those pieces because like I would stand up and show you this, but it's a podcast, so that's pointless. But you'll see receivers go like chop, 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 shoulder fake, shoulder fake, shoulder fake, then run their fade. And it's like, yeah, do that in an NFL game, you're going to get benched. Like yep. <laughs> the, yep. the timing of these routes is everything. And that was one thing that I thought Ladd did really well was that he separated within standard tempo, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think Brandon Rice is probably your best bet to be an X receiver if the Bears want to go this route. One of the questions that I'm dying to get answered, man, is do the Bears think that DJ Moore is an X receiver or not? Because he can play both. But if they value him as a Z receiver, then they need an X receiver. If they think he can play both, then the poll playbook's open and they can go get any receiver they want, right? Right. But I'm really interested to know because he's a little smaller than most traditional Xs, right? Um I, I don't know. That's just one question. I would love to see the Bears show us what they envision yeah. this thing to look like. And, or, it, and if you're not an Odunze guy, that's one thing that could push Odunze up their draft board is just mm-hmm. that he has the size to play X, the X role, even if he's not. I don't know. I, I always think about Keon because Keon well, is. Well, your that's more, what I was going to mention. Yeah. Keon's your more prototypical X, right? Yep. Like not that fast. Fast isn't really important. It's a matter of how physical you are. And if you're fast on top of that, great. But he's, he's, he's mini, mini Brandon Marshall. Man, I, I mean, t- like I, I mean, talked to some guys though, like Keon's falling right now. Maybe that changes at the combine, but we, we talked about this and you weren't happy about it. I told if, you, if you told me that Keon's there in the second round, I think you're stealing like, I, but I also don't want to gamble that you go down to the second round or that you wait until the second round, because if you draft a Roma Dunze, well, now there's just not really room to draft Keon Coleman and keep all three of those mouths fed. I don't think that see. Okay. This is where I'm going to debate you. I think there is. Okay. I think that's cool. No, I'm just not even going to put up a fight. Like I think because, that's because then DJ Moore's your slot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like right? and then he can live and he can go everywhere he wants. He can play that game. I really, truly, Mick, like sure, on one hand, I just don't think the Bears are gonna do that. But I think I would be so down that I don't know how to play devil's advocate here because I like the way you're thinking about it. I would rather I mean, overaddress the position. The, 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 here's the problem is that like and again, this is my background of fantasy. I think so many people think about fantasy and like you have to get a thousand yards for each receiver. No, the Bears have to learn how to win games. And if you put up so many problems for defenses, you're going to win games. And I want so many more solutions for a rookie quarterback or for fields. I'm open to either option, y'all. That's better for a young quarterback than, oh, crap. You know, I hope one of our receivers don't get hurt. Now we only have one guy, which we saw this year. And it's right. like if they take away DJ Moore, we're screwed. By the way, just so that I get my notes complete, 
right? Yeah. A lot of these corners really were awesome. Watching corners is awesome. For any of our Golden Domers out there, I thought Cam Hart was a whole lot of fun. Kalen King was a massive bummer. <laughs> just, just saying. Like, Penn State corner, he reminded me a lot of Darion Kendrick, uh, which is not a good thing. Well, it right depends on. on how you see it. Like, well, okay, so it's so funny, right? Because Darion fell really hard after the Senior Bowl. Now he's starting former, for the Rams. Former wide receiver. What? Former wide receiver. They shifted him. Right. Former wide receiver. They shifted him. Was a potential second rounder, at least from draft media, going into the Senior Bowl. Felt like a rock. Got drafted in the sixth and is now starting for the Rams. So Kendall Vildor can start, so that doesn't automatically mean that you're good. Yeah. But it is funny how sometimes maybe we overrate these things. But sure, to me, it looks to me like Kalen King is more of a project than I want to think he is. Max Melton, whole lot of fun. Cam Hart, big, long, and fun. Um, I thought Kyrie Jackson was way, way more boring than I thought he would be. And at <laughs> six three and a half, two oh three, thirty two inch arms, I just am, I'm just gonna have to go back and watch more film and pretty much forget that he was at the Senior Bowl at all because those kinds of measurables are gonna put him in literally any corner conversation. I mean, yeah. you you're that big, that fast. His injury issues are a different question. There's one more. I'm trying to speed through it because I have to talk about these tight ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They rock like you. You talk about Bowers. Jaheim Bell is Brock Bowers at home. It it is all the value of a guy like Brock Bowers with way more problems because he honestly is has the size of an H back. Like we could just come right out and say it, right? Yep. Yep. But as a receiving threat that's really big, you could try to get a lot of the same value. And he's also wildly fast. That's the tight end out of Florida State. Jared mm -hmm. Wiley, the Y tight end out of TCU, thought he played so well that he didn't need to come out for the the third day. I honestly don't blame him. I thought he looked fluid as a receiver, really strong as a blocker. He's 6'6", 253, 33-inch arms. Like, he just had himself a week. And then, to, uh, what is it? Uh, ben Sinnott, Kansas State tight end. You're going to hear his name a lot the more we talk about draft stuff because he looks like he might be the second best tight end in the class. Now, I'm not so expert on this tight end class that I know right. how many guys are behind Brock Bowers, but his biggest flaw, like imagine the Moneyball meme, right? He does everything well. He blocks. You, second, you should turn on his Texas tape uh, if you're looking for something to do, Nick. And what mm -hmm. you'll see is first play, he gets out in the flat and you go, oh, oh, this guy's kind of fast. Second play, they run crunch and he digs out Byron Murphy by himself. Like, <laughs> and the runner runs I right behind I him. I thought he was a little small, no? He is, you're going to be happy to hear me report that he weighed in, or he uh, he was 6'4", 254. Oh, okay, thicker than I thought. So he's right there, right? Yeah. Um, smaller tight end, sure, but if you're going to use him as a U, they can block a little bit. He was one of the best run blockers of the week. Like, Ooh. kudos to Ben. Because his receiving isn't even his best attribute, which is wild. Wow. Blocks way of, hey, when you want it, you want it, as far as a blocker goes. Well, and the Bears have had a lot of tight ends. Uh, look at, you know, we know, we know the guy who came from Green Bay that didn't want to block or receivers. Exactly. Was, was Brant Keithy there? Brant Keithy was not there. You the talk, only, We got A.J. Barner, who in typical A.J. Barner fashion, looks like kind of a string bean, but blocks yeah. pretty well. Like, yeah. for a wide tight end, he's just really skinny, yeah. <laughs> which is just so funny. I, uh, I like him at Michigan. He had some good stuff. I don't stuff. see why you wouldn't. He's a good player. Yeah. And then was Theo, Theo Johnson there? Theo Johnson State? was there. I thought at times... So, 
the the other practice, the American practice, integrated the tight ends with the receivers a lot more. I think because they wanted to test the safeties. Like my guess is uh, that the the coaches there got a lot more edict to run the safeties in coverage, whereas yeah. in the other practice they did it less, and or at least you couldn't watch the skills and also get the tight ends as easily. But Theo mm-hmm. Johnson, I thought moved pretty well. Uh, I would definitely put him behind all three of the other ones. Uh, maybe maybe right up there with Bell just in terms of who had the best week, right? But yeah. all three tight ends like looked great on the other side, which was a whole lot of fun because I if you didn't get Brock Bowers, I could very easily see, look, maybe I'm just future casting, right? But Nick, I feel like safety in round three and a tight end in round four makes all the positional sense of the world. Obviously makes a big difference on who actually gets there from a draft board perspective. But from what the bears are, or from what the bears would want to do, I can see it. You know what I mean? If if they took Ben Sinat, or is it Sinat? I I think it's Sinat, but I couldn't tell you. They take Ben Sinat in round three. Would you be mad? Stoked. Actually. I I think, I think that there's a chance that, so he comped himself to Sam Laporta and I think he's closer to Laporta than he is round four. Like it just because, you're going to there somebody needs a tight end. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it's one of those where it's like, I, let me hang on. Stall, stall, say something. Have a take. Well, I, I, I was, I wanted to trans- transition to running backs. I don't think we need to talk about quarterbacks because from what I heard, they were trash and the bears aren't going to be touching any of those guys. So it doesn't really matter. It's, it's just going to be a matter. Like I've heard great things about Jatavion Sanders out of Texas, the tight end. Uh, and then I have no, I have no opinion on Kate Stover. I will go get you an opinion on Kate Stover, okay. but okay. Senate is at the mercy of, is he better than Stover and how many teams need a tight end? It's yeah. not a, it's not a totally niche position, but most teams don't invest in two of them. So yeah. I could easily see him moving up the board just based on where he fits in the order. Cause I know from the little bit of Texas I watched, Jatavian is more of like your, as I understand it anyways, your huge person that can also catch. Whereas mm-hmm. Sinnott is more of like, this guy should be an H-back, but he is way better than that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so instead, okay. we're going to make him a U-tight end that can also do things for us in the run game. Mm-hmm. I, um, I mentioned Brant Keithy because, again, in my previous lifetime, I like to say I scouted a lot of like kids out of high school, mm-hmm. you know, like, like Trent Irwin, I watched his high school tape and, and, and early college guys, Brand Keithy. I liked him two years ago Ooh. at Utah. I saw potential, but he's just like a, he's like that bigger wide receiver, but not that big, like, but playing tight end. Like he's probably like six to two thirty. Oh man. <laughs> you know? Like that's what he, but he's fun, you know? Right. So he'd be like a six, seventh round pick, you know, package guy we're closing do you want to go in. running back at all we're no? closing in on another double album so i'll try to keep this thing close and by that yeah. that's a length joke everybody yeah, uh run, you're welcome to, no? what running backs or no oh yeah 100, that's what i'm pulling up oh, so okay. i heard good things about michael wiley uh they that is a running back good i, I just wanted to make sure and ray davis from kentucky but the american roster didn't show out their running backs near as much as the national roster where if the bears okay. did draft caleb williams Ooh, Marshawn Lloyd looks pretty good. <laughs> well, Marshawn Lloyd, y'all. I mean, he looked good at South Carolina before. He, he didn't do a ton there, but there was some hype, and then he got hurt. And then he transferred, and then he shined at USC, but he got hurt again. He's got some injury stuff. Injury stuff to work out. Kimani Vidal out of Troy looked looked really nice and fast. But I'll tell you guys right now, uh, for everybody listening, 
the senior bowl is a known terrible place to evaluate running backs. Like you just don't get much look because you, most running back stuff that you're evaluating is what does vision look like in the middle of a full contact scenario, game situation, shrugging off things with contact balance. But as receivers, Lauby, I'd say Lauby, Lloyd, and Vidal stood out with an, an extra little, what do you call it, like an assist or an honorable mention for Ray Davis, who got open every time he got the opportunity. Yeah, Ray Davis turns 25 in like October. Yeah, not great. But He's old. The, 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 one, the one sad note we have to say, though, is uh, a guy I like, Rasheen Ali, ruptured his bicep tendon. Brutal. And that sucks because I liked him out of Marshall. Really sucks. I, I think he was having an okay – I think he was having a pretty solid senior bowl up until yeah. that point. But how, um, how was Isaiah Davis? What do you think about him? Isaiah Davis, let me see. South Dakota uh, State. South Dakota State. Noticed him a couple times, but again, the let me see. This is the national practice. National practice, you saw the running backs show up in team drills more. And in particular, nice. when I was watching the team drills, yeah, exactly, right? Uh, they were yeah. just catching balls in the flat. Like the quarterbacks didn't push the ball. Like a lot of senior bowls have pushed it more or more often. I don't know okay. if that's the offensive line's fault. I don't know whose fault that is. But mm -hmm. it, it, there were points where I remember me and Clay Harbor, who were both just hanging out at the senior bowl, we were just laughing about like, throw it <laughs> clay harbor man I, I know clay harbor's one of his friends from high school but anyways i have That's one fun. final thing do you have any other guys to talk about no I covered right. the whole gamut. <laughs> All right, dude, that, dude, and thank you. Like that's that's very useful information. Like I wasn't there. So I just watched clips, but you got in person, you can see everything. Okay. Caleb Williams doesn't want to play in Chicago, Robert. Yeah, I heard. That <laughs> is, and again, then there's a clarification because his camp talked to Colin Coward today. They're gonna pump out whatever for clicks for whatever. It's not true. He'll play in Chicago. Like th this is a non-issue. And it's Honestly, it's just ridiculous that this is what media has become. So, look, trying to trying to split both sides here, Nick. Try try to talk from both ends of the fence as best I can. I know, but might as well, right? I think whenever this story pops up, the reason you see it get so much play is because the Bears, I think we know in the back of our minds, the Bears have been bad enough to where if a quarterback feasibly didn't want to play in Chicago, it would be irrational. It would be the wrong yeah. move. These aren't those same bears, but you can almost understand a kid's dad saying that just because yeah. of what a quarterback graveyard it's been. And so, again, irrational. Yes. Did Joe Burrow say this in 2020? Yes. Does anybody remember him saying that? They don't. Is the same thing probably going to happen in Chicago here? Probably, if that's the direction they go. But sure. moreover, Nick, I mean, Cowherd comes out today, says we had this conversation six to eight weeks ago. Yeah, six to eight weeks ago, they had Luke Getze. Six to eight weeks ago, they didn't do any staff overhaul. Six to eight weeks ago, blah, 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 blah. I back can't pedal, help. Backpedal, backpedal. I can't help but think beyond the backpedaling, Nick, trying to see this as earnestly as we can from every direction. Yeah. This is going to come down to that two-way interview. And Nick, let it me is. speak your language. Ryan Poles is rock solid. Like, you put Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren and Matt Eberflus, who the players seem to love, like, in that room. And I can't imagine Caleb Williams not feeling that energy that these Bears are giving off right now. And, I mean, I understand that there are going to be some people that are going to think I'm just blowing sunshine, but I really mean that. Like, it, all Caleb may ask for 
is a relative assurance that the Bears are going to get him another weapon. And Ryan Poles is probably going to say, if you think we think we're good at weaponry right now, you're crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. all I think Caleb needs, truly, is just the assurance that the Chicago Bears have a plan to allow him to succeed. And what a coincidence. They should. That's That comes with territory. Right. Well, but here's the other side of that meeting, though. Is Ryan Poles and company, and that's why I'm glad Cunningham is there, is what do they think about Caleb Williams and how, again, football knowledge, but also character, because character is huge in Chicago. Let's Absolutely. go over the last, let's go over the last two drafts, y'all. George Pickens was the love darling in Cut Chicago off the board on Twitter. Didn't want him. Jalen Carter, the best player in the draft, falls and gets passed on by so many different people. Cut off the board. Bears don't even want him. Now, I, I again I don't know Caleb Williams, but I'm just telling you now that that Nick. character and how that is and how that's going to blend in the locker room with everyone matters a ton to Ryan Pole. Full of himself and maybe about the brand a little more than he should be, well, that's Chase Claypool, and they traded for him. So they may mm-hmm. not care if you think you're, or if they think he's a diva, so long as mm-hmm. they don't think he's going to be a problem. But yeah. we don't know. We really don't know, right? I, I will tell you that it's funny looking at quarterbacks just because you look at most of these top eight quarterbacks. I don't know. Like, draw your line wherever you want to. And you've got, like, Purdy, Maybe Justin Herbert and a bunch of arrogant guys that all think that the NFL should kowtow to whatever they think. My favorite example is Mahomes losing to, I can't remember which team he lost to when he did this, but he loses on that play where Travis Kelsey basically laterals the ball to uh, Kadarius Tony, And his initial response was, bro, just don't call the penalty there. Like, that was so cool. Just pick the flag back up. It, right. Like, almost literally, Patrick Mahomes, one of my favorite players, says, yeah, but don't apply the rules to me. Like, yeah. let me win. And super dislikable. I don't, nobody really cares. Aaron Rodgers, super dislikable. Nobody really cares. Joe Burrow, when he loses, is not the world's grandest loser. But we don't really mind. Right, like, dude, CJ Stroud, how he is, how he's carried himself, has made me cheer for the Texans. Pretty spectacular. Dude, Pretty spectacular dude, how CJ's like, carried like, himself. Talking story. about how character, like, is just awesome. Like, that's one thing that stand, stood out for me. But again, like, th- this stuff matters to Chicago. And like, when you want to build something kind of the right way, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the dinners that they have, we don't. Visits to Hallis Hall. All the interactions at the combine, at the pro decks that are so like that's something to monitor, but it, it goes both ways. It's not just what Caleb wants. It's what Chicago wants. It is. And I'll tell you that if you want my honest opinion. All right. So uh, any listener that's made it to this point, first of all, thank you. We always say this. These double album podcasts are awesome. Nick and I really just can't turn the faucet off. Like the link, <laughs> the link is less us thinking that a two hour podcast is like the way in the future in podcasting. And it's more that we just get into a good conversation. And we just do this to, to today. We were like, okay, short show. I'm exhausted. Let's get this. Yeah. We'll say 50, <laughs> maybe an hour 20. Hey, right. We are. And so we, just, we love talking ball, man. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, Nick, so I'm trying to give a disclaimer that for everybody who's listening, especially if you don't like Caleb Williams, like just, I am about to give the argument that I imagine 
whether it's Caleb's people close to Caleb or whether it's Ryan Poles himself is probably going to make on behalf of the city of Chicago. Okay. Uh, Nick, do you know who owns the bears rookie passing touchdown record? Oh man. Bears rookie pass. Let me give you like 10 seconds. Uh, I'm gonna go. Kay McNown. Good guess. It's, uh, it is a 1942 quarterback named Chuck and Charlie O'Rourke who threw 88 passes. He threw 11 touchdowns in those 88 passes, and he threw 16 interceptions. Mitch Trubisky, seven touchdowns. Justin Fields, I believe, seven touchdowns, both in 12 games. So hold on, hold on, hold on. This isn't even your point. I'm just I'm floored right now. Charlie had 88 touchdowns, 88 passes. Yes. 11 touchdowns and 16 picks. Yes. It was either a touchdown or a pick half the time. Sid Luckman's touchdown percentage was like 17%. It was apparently just normal back then. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm, man, I want to go back and watch 40s football. I know, right? <laughs> now I want to know. How but, do they pack plays? I'm going to do this. But it's more to say that the Bears have. So do you, do you want to guess the Bears rookie uh, passing yardage record? Um, I, I got to think of a rookie that started a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Orton. Good guess. It's Mitch. With 2250. So if Caleb has a season where he plays 17 games and he's any good at all, he's going to shatter Bears rookie records. If he has a good season, like if he approaches, sniffs the the CJ Stroud season, he could very quickly break Eric Kramer's record. And if he does any of those things, you're talking almost every single year, there is going to be a tweet where where Caleb Williams broke another passing record in Chicago. And I'm telling you, as ridiculous as I know it sounds, this Chicago, I'm from Dallas. So I'm about to talk about a city that I have no actual like allegiance to outside of the Bears. Man, Dallas can't make you a god like Chicago can. Like you look at Jordan, Jordan is immortal. You look at the 85 Bears, they get more TV play than the Super Bowl Dynasty Cowboys. Like people go, yeah, 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 the Cowboys, whatever. Tell me about those Bears again. Like it's well, spe- speaking of Robert, I for the fourth time, maybe fifth time, I literally last night just finished the Last Dance, which was the. I, I still think it's awesome cinema. And remind and, me, and was I, was I Jordan? Chilled. Remind me, was was Jordan uh, considered a good dude? No. Remind me, did Jordan challenge his teammates and, to use a Brendan Rice quote, ask the most out of them? Yep. Man, I'm not trying to make the direct comparison, but when did we start thinking the good guy thing worked in Chicago? This is mm-hmm. a city that wants somebody that is going to get the best out of the. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, but you, you could even go earlier or, or recent more time. I mean, D. Rose, when D. Rose, I mean, before the knee, dude. The city was on fire. You got D Rose. The Cubs, they got a World Series. It was awesome. I'm not I'm not a Sox guy, so sorry y'all. But like like the city gets all it's a huge, huge, huge metropolitan area. And I'm telling you, when I look at Washington, look, I don't know if this is what Caleb's thinking about, but it's what I would be thinking about, right? When I look at Washington, Joe Theismann is a bar to clear. Like RG3 is a rookie, that's a bar to clear. RG3 had a good rookie season, threw for 3,200 yards, rushed for another 500, one offensive rookie of the year over Andrew Luck, for crying out loud. Okay, so maybe we don't want to go there. Maybe we want to play in Boston, right? No, you don't. 
Not only is that fan base as critical as it gets, you're in the shadow of Tom Brady. Okay, so we don't want to play there, right? Arizona doesn't want a quarterback. Los Angeles doesn't want a quarterback. What about New York, right? Again, is Eli Manning the grandest bar to clear on earth? Maybe no, but that's not a small feat. Being better than Eli Manning is a mountain to climb. And in Chicago, you might be the most successful Bears quarterback ever by the end of your rookie deal, if things go well. well like, I mean, it, the bar is so low. <laughs> he could be the best Bears passer after the rookie season, like a single season. He really could. And it, I mean, that's not, I'm not going to be 4,000 yards one time, man. Ten quarterbacks did it last year. Baker, May- ironic, ironic, isn't it? that you look at a lot of these recent quarterbacks and who has been some of the better rookies. I mean, obviously, look, I could go through and I could pick on a bunch of people, but I specifically want to highlight at one in battle franchise that drafted a Lincoln Riley quarterback. They were the Cleveland Browns. He was Baker Mayfield. He just threw for 4,000 yards. Like you look at the Lincoln Riley quarterbacks, man. And if you're looking for reasons to at least hope that Caleb's going to be all right, you know, like, the most recent Lincoln Riley quarterbacks we've seen are Baker Mayfield, who's perfectly serviceable, if not kind of good. You've got Kyler Murray, who had two MVP years until he busted his ACL, and he brought the or he brought back to the Cardinals to life at this point. And he's the only reason they're not the number one overall pick. And mm-hmm. then Jalen Hurts took the Eagles to a Super Bowl. These guys might not be all unilateral world beaters, but they actually kind of hit the ground running, like as rookies. And so... I don't know, Nick. I just can't help but look at this thing and think if I'm Caleb, the road to the road to being one of the three faces of the league is not a long one. Like no. you I mean, I don't want And the road is easier in Chicago. I don't want to take anything away from CJ Stroud, Nick, but if Caleb Williams shows up as a rookie and throws for 20 touchdowns, he is going to be on so many more commercials than CJ Stroud ever will. Like He'll, it's not just billboards in the city of Chicago. I'm talking prime time games. I'm ta- I'm talking State Farm. I'm talking all the annoying stuff. He'll be he'll be out there shilling Pepsi to you. He'll be like it'll yep. everywhere. And mm-hmm. I just don't think it. Houston's a huge market. Like CJ Stroud's gonna probably swing a couple of doors. <laughs> this deal's it's not Chicago. It Chicago, man. Come on, like it's this is, no. You know you know what's also interesting too with this is um. And again, like, yo, I'm still open to Drake, man. Like, this isn't just like the Caleb thing, but this is just showing like the bar is so low in Chicago. You know, the other interesting thing with Caleb is, do you think they get Brendan Rice to pair him up with his college teammate? I think the think about it, right? Yeah. But I almost think that Brendan Rice is going to end up overloaded by a weapon that they draft or sign elsewhere, right? Okay. Like, like, not that they hate Brendan. More that they'll just explain to to, to Caleb. Uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you think you want Brendan. We're gonna get you somebody better than Brendan. <laughs> you know well, what to, I mean? To me, it's like you bring in like DJ Shark, Brendan Rice, and the Brock Bowers. That that'd be sick. Makes sense to me. That'd be sick. And that's if they don't go get you in Malik Neighbors. Which, by the way, I'm just saying. Look, okay. So another little Calebism. I'm going to try to keep it together because I could give you a, cold, a full Caleb Williams like breakdown and a whole bunch of spiels. All, oh, but all I think we need to. to. We need to have an episode on this, but we not do. in this episode. Well, he is going to draft it first. Like, I understand that Caleb Williams stuff is going to go hot for the next bunch of months. Podcast listener, 
We get it. It would be really popular for us to do it sooner. Uh, until Justin Fields is traded, at the ve- if that's what happens, I do think we have to keep the conversation at least pretty open. No, I'm saying I'm saying we should do a scouting report. Um, I like it. Caleb, Caleb, Drake, JT. Like, yeah. I got gotcha. you. One yeah. of my favorite things about Caleb Williams, I don't know if you've seen this, so I'll just share it with you. Somebody did a, uh, they basically compiled how commonly in college, te- or how commonly in college did players scramble, right? Uh, that scramble at all. What percentage of dropbacks did they run with the ball, right? And Justin Fields ended up around 9%, I think. That was pretty high, right up there with Jaden Daniel or JT Daniels, who ended up with, um, I think, like 8.5%. I don't know, going off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Drake May clocked in around 7%, as did Josh Allen. Like, for those who didn't watch Fields in college, it's not that he was a runner, but he did call his own number instead of throwing to the flat. Like, Ohio State wouldn't even really scheme a flat route. They would just clear a whole bunch of space, and Justin Fields would run into it for, what do you say, six to ten yards at that point, just free and easy. That was his check down mm-hmm. in school. Yep. Uh, so it wasn't that. it was like, like I'm saying, not JT Daniels, as in our rushing is going to be a feature point of this offense, but he definitely ran in college. He just threw more. More of the chunks mm-hmm. were throwing. Caleb Williams, would you like to guess his scramble percentage? Because he's a scrambler. Right? He runs around a lot. I think it's higher. It's 3%. No way. He, he scrambles a ton. He scrambles to throw a ton. And uh, so, okay. as far as how often he actually runs the ball, almost never. And what you, is, is, Have you seen the stat of his time to throw? Uh, yes. And like a friend of mine and I, as a matter of fact, dug into this. Let me, let me build on that, okay? So, scramble time to throw average, right? When you scramble, what is your average time to throw, okay? Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, about four and a half seconds. Josh Allen, about 4.78 seconds. Lamar Jackson, about 4.9 seconds. This is considered normal, right? This, this, is, this is NFL or college? This is college. Okay. Kyler Murray, much better scrambler. Stays alive like crazy. He had a much Kyler higher Paul. number. Much higher number. In fact, an almost outlier higher number at 5.5 seconds. Nobody oh, scrambles wow. that much. Okay. Except for Caleb Williams averages 6.58 seconds time to throw on scrambles, which the way that I've described this before, Nick, it's a smoking gun number. It, it shows that we are looking at something truly unique and we have no idea what the results are going to be. Is he going to no. die back there? It's possible, but he very yep. clearly has a skill set built around staying alive. And when you do watch the tape, you can see how it helps him because like all the crazy psycho stuff that honest to God, Nick, I don't think you can teach because if you spent time with Drake may trying to get him to backpedal and then plant one foot and scream back up in the pocket and then plant another foot and backpedal again, spin out to his left, reset his feet and fire a dot downfield. Mm-hmm. He's never going to do it. <laughs> my, my, my favorite comp right now that I've, figure it out is I think he's a blend between like an Aaron Rodgers and a Johnny Manziel. I like that. And I don't like the Manziel part, but, but, but you get it though. I, I do you get the moving and the, as far the, as the pre- creativeness, it's funny you say that because as far as pressure to sack percentages go, what people don't remember about Aaron Rodgers is that he's always taken about 20% so like he's had a pressure to sack rate of about 20%. For those who aren't aware, this is how often he get pressured. When you get pressured, how often you get sacked, right? Uh, Pat Mahomes is obscenely low. 
like Pat, one of the things that makes Pat Mahomes amazing is that he has a pressure to sack rate of closer to about 13 percent, 11 percent. It's I mean, re- think of the think of the playoffs. He got sacked on that one, and it was like, oh my gosh, he got sacked. He got pressured all the time. Dude never gets sacked. Dude never gets sacked. It's and Justin special. Fields, Justin Fields had a twenty three point nine percent pressure to sack rate in college. I don't think it's gotten lower in the well, NFL. I, I think I would argue that's Fields' worst trait is yes. his his pressure to sack rate is so high. Yes, exactly. The high high rate, not a good thing. Just in and case we're all on the same page. Because <laughs> I, I looked on PFF, they have a stat that is uh, the percentage of pressures that are a quarterback's fault. Mm-hmm. He's he's lower than Mahomes, than Jalen Hurts, than uh, you think of athletic quarterbacks. That cause they're they're going to be a little higher because they're going to hold on the ball and by right. the time his percentage of pressures that are his fault are lower than all those guys. Right. But his his pressure to sack is way higher. Way higher. And what's funny is when people think about Aaron Rodgers, they think about a guy who gets the ball out. They think about a guy who reads the whole field and then distributes to wherever he needs to. And he does, right? These things can coexist. But ironically, Rodgers also ended up with an 18 to 22% pressure to sack rate for most of the middle seasons of his career. And we only have data back to like 2008. And even then, he didn't start for three years. So we're literally only looking at NFL data compared to Caleb, who had between, I think it's an 18 to 20% pressure to sack rate in school. But it paints this picture to me, Nick, of a player just like Rogers, for better or for worse, who mm-hmm. will never give up on the play. No. He doesn't see a sack as he does not see a sack as something to be feared compared to what he stands to gain if he just stays alive a little longer. Almost like he shares that philosophical belief you know Rogers had of me holding the ball longer is not bad. I trust me with it, and you can't cover for longer. Then I can or then I can hold it and I can see you like that kind of like almost Wait, there's there's so many things that are advantageous with that mindset because you'll wear down defensive linemen more you will because coverage is the, the average play is three to five seconds y'all so like if the play is longer than that coverages aren't designed to stop it no they are going to get more big plays more guys open I mean there will be bad sacks there will be fumbles probably horrific turnovers like caleb has this really really bad habit of his turnovers look so unesthetic they they look like some of the most idiotic things in football just to point that out like but (laughs) but the payoff is so much better and you know what's so funny about this nick because people forget this all the time okay so as a play wears on players just kind of start running anywhere like, yes, you're going to have your base scramble rules, but a lot of times it just turns into pure chaos. And for some reason, everybody's first idea is run deep, right? But my favorite thing about this, because everybody talks about how, how much scarier NFL defenses are than college football defenses. Totally true. Uh, your line is better too. Like the USC mm-hmm. offensive line, not amazing. Tevin Jenkins, going to be the best line, lineman he's ever played with. And that's We're if the right is better. There's a lot of parallels between the interior O-line that Fields has had in his tenure with the Bears and what, what Caleb Williams has had at USC. It is. It is. Bad. And hopefully we fix it so that we don't have to deal with it. But right. what I'm sitting here joking around with myself about, Nick, because it's never happened at USC, but I could very easily see it happening under a guy with different ideas than Lincoln Riley in somebody like Shane Waldron, is we might just get a play and clip this if it happens, where Caleb pulls onto the ball, and just like Rodgers— the longer he holds onto the ball, the more you feel an ice pick. Like if you're somebody who's cheering against him, hopefully Bears oh, fans doesn't God. feel this right. Where, cause don't you remember those Rogers plays where you were like, Oh God, he's not pressured. Oh, oh no. <laughs> like the almost like 
we have made this to where holding onto the ball is something absolutely terrifying to us, the quarterback, because mm-hmm. Fields held, or has held onto the ball and taken so many hits from it. With Rodgers, him holding onto the ball was worse. Like, at least yes. if he got rid of the ball quickly, you had a feeling you could rally tackle. And this is where you're going to get some stupid play that everybody on Twitter is going to call overrated, right? Where everybody runs downfield on scramble drill, and around the four and a half to five second mark, he just dumps it over the middle to Tyler Scott, but nobody's on him. And Tyler Scott, former running back, takes the ball really fast, <laughs> curls up field, like what is it? Juts to his left. DJ Moore holds his guy a little bit, then lets go. He can't get an angle on it, and suddenly Tyler Scott has blown an explosive and yeah. picks up a whole bunch of yards. Like what's so funny to me is that the chaos you can create when you have a quarterback that can maestro. All of that chaos is something that a lot of offenses just don't have access to. It's going to be a matter of whether the juice is worth the squeeze for the Bears, but I mean, it's hard not to think about it and get excited. Well, and there's a, um, I mean, you could debate that's that's Caleb Williams' best trait is his pocket presence and his calmness among some the storm. M- yeah, some calmness among the storm in the pocket that Aaron Rodgers had, and it's you. Just Fields does not feel good in the pocket and how he moves in the pocket and that, and again, like that's part of well, how this is. Every play is not going to go well. And if you can no. be like, Aaron Rodgers just got strip sacked sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, like in, this is, this might be before you're born, Robert, but um, early nineties, Loyola Marymount had this run and gun basketball team. Okay. And Bo Kimball went down, went to NBA um, and Hank Gathers had the, that's the most famous because he had had the heart issue and he died actually on the floor. Oh my gosh! But they again from a from a super small program, not super successful, took off and they had these super high scoring games and they would win because they did things differently. They're like they're just playing pickup games and they're just running up and down the floor, up and down the floor. But there, it's 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 kind of like this designed chaos. But they designed it. They're used to playing within that. Yes. So they're more comfortable with it. They're good with it. You have teams, let's say, let's say Jared Goff has a play where he's moving around and doing the Caleb stuff and it's last five, six seconds. Detroit fans are like, oh my gosh, get rid of the ball. Cause he can't, it's not in his skill set. Right. But Caleb, it's like a calm. It's like, oh yeah, this is what he does. Rogers, oh, this is what he does. Big Ben, this is what he does. Right. So so that that right there is such a different offensive strategic advantage. I am so interested to see what Ryan Poles, Matty Berflus, and Shane Waldron all think. Because like mm-hmm. you're talking about, that could just create they could just create offensive threads that a lot of these teams can't imitate. And it's on the repertoire. It becomes a different attack and a scary one. And one that, generally speaking, is going to make a lot of receivers on the Bears maybe look better than they are. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, that kind of uncanny pocket management that led to player after player after player after player after player in Green Bay, where Bears fans would say, Jermichael Finley is not this good. Like, or or you'd say, what what was it, uh, James Jones? Like the receiver? Oh, where it was like, here, yeah. this guy is just okay. <laughs> we, we, we even shift this to another quarterback. Russell Wilson did the same thing in Seattle. He would back up with pressure. That's how he escaped. He didn't step up possibly because he can't see because he's shorter. But how many deep passes over the years did we see T- Tyler Lockett just get wide open? Because 
buys time. Tyler Lockett. Well, you know what's interesting? Jermaine uh, Curse, right? Jermaine oh, Curse and Doug Baldwin caught a million of Doug them. Doug Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, they gave, they gave Tyler Lockett like 20-yard option routes because they knew the design. They're like, you go to the middle of the field and whichever you see green grass, you break and go. And Russ is back there making it work and then boom. Like, you can do that when you have that skill set. It's different. And can Justin Fields do it? Theoretically. Theoretically, he can. Mm-hmm. But within the last three years, if he if he could have done it, I think we would have seen it already. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, to to me, like, I I don't think that they have developed Justin Fields fairly. And again, we, we got to cut this off at some point. We do. But I do think that what Caleb Williams is going to step into, or Drake May, is going to be head and shoulders better than what Justin Fields has stepped into. I think so. I can't wait uh, because it's it's probably going to be one of the better Bears teams that I've ever seen in my life. Dude, this I mean, is going to no matter what they decide, it's. Dude, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Nick, yeah. you got any final comments? Uh, no, man, I got nothing. We, we, had, we had a lot in, but man, this is going to be a fun offseason to talk Bears football. Absolutely. Bears fans, if you're looking for more, come to follow either of us on Twitter. That's underscore Nick Whalen. I'm at Robert K. Schmitz. It's draft season, so it's time to start digging into draft prospects, free agent moves, and staying out of the tabloid-esque narratives as much as possible. Because Bears fans, I will warn you, and hey, if you saw it on Twitter, I got caught up in this because I am sensitive too. But it's this is around the time when media is going to try to pull Chicago's leg because when Mm -hmm. Chicago's leg gets pulled, they react. Right. But aside from all this great time to be a Bears fan. Thank you so much for paying attention. We are still trying to get our reviews up. If you made it to the end of the podcast, we so appreciate you hitting us with a five star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Last time we did this call, and I'll probably do another one next uh, week. We we got thirty reviews. We went up from like thirty three to sixty, and let's see if we can't get to seventy. So if you want to be one of the next ten, thank you. And from there, obviously, that helps us swing sponsorships, try to help us get a little bit of extra cheddar on the side so that we frankly can make you more content because it's all a matter of justifying it to our significant others. <laughs> don't tell me that's true. Don't tell me that's wrong, Nick. You know it's true. Hey, hey I'm getting I'm getting married in May, y'all. So yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Help, help us out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great, wonderful rest of your week. Check out the senior bowl. Get set for the Super Bowl. And until next time. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with us. 